Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 89, Dragons Come to Westeros. I'm Scatty, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey, hey, hey guys, uh, we're jumping in the uh, the old DeLorean. We're going even further back in time in Fire and Blood. Uh, you'll remember we finished the book in episode 88, and now we're just going right back a huge gigantic reach around to the very beginning of Fire Blood, Fire and Blood, where we're going to be cover um, the uh, beginnings of the Targaryen dynasty with the OGs that started it all, the siblings Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys. Uh, so that's covered in the first three chapters of Fire and Blood, or pages three to fifty. That's right. Yeah, thanks for the Huey Lewis drop. Now I got back in time going through my head while while you were reading. Gotta go back in time. Alright. Uh announcements. Uh been a little bit since we've done one of these. I think since maybe the Avengers film. But we're gonna do a films get fingered. We are gonna go back and do a films get fingered classic films. And it might be a bit of a stretch to call this a classic. But we're going to do Clerks. We just want It's a classic to us. It's That's right. It's a classic right. to us. We you know, wanna. Kevin Smith is, you know, through all the the stuff that Scat and I bonded over, A Song of Ice and Fire, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Kevin Smith films might be maybe up there with... Uh, I'm definitely hanging with all of those things, if not maybe more so than a couple of those things. So, oh yeah, uh, I remember having many long, long chats with you about chasing Amy and yeah. Dogma and and all those films. So, yeah, I mean, uh, like, it's hard to call them as influential on my life as Star Wars, but if I really think about it, it kind of is. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know a better way to put it. It's just. I spent, they, they had, I, I think because of the time of my life that they came out and that I saw them, um, you know, they came out while I was growing up. They didn't, they, you know, they right. were like already out when I kind of was old enough to see them. And so, I, I don't mm-hmm. know, I don't know how to put it another way, but they were very influential to me. And, and also just, and we've talked about this a little bit too, but Kevin, just the way his career has gone and the things that he's faced and the way he's evolved his business and what like what he's done with his career is just interesting and so i, I like him just oh, yeah. like, as a human um even though like he's kind just of the way he approached it as, yeah, business sometimes. life everything yeah it's great mm-hmm. yeah and and, yep. and no no more <laughs> no, no more uh telling maybe than the little anecdote from this week because he went he's out kind of well supposed to be promoting <laughs> jane silent bob reboot and he went on colbert and he's so good at getting in his own way i love yeah, it he didn't talk about the movie like at all and it, well matt you and i were texting about it a little bit like it's just such evidence that like he does not care at all at all how well the movie does he made the movie to make it nope. he had fun making he does it, it for him it for and him i love and, that about him and he knows that his super fans yep. will love it right but he doesn't care what it does in the box office he didn't care to promote it. He's not worried about it. He's just out there having fun and making his art and doing his thing. Well, he even said on the uh, Colbert interview that he goes, 
there were only two people that ever wanted to see this movie made, and it's the two of us referring to him and Jason Mewes. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's wrong about that because you and I both want it, yep. and I know there are thousands and thousands, at least one thousand other people that want it too. At least one thousand. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna see it. Uh, it's very limited showings. If you guys are interested, you gotta kind of go get tickets. It's only like two days, and then they're doing like a national tour in cities and stuff. But it's it's not just gonna be like at the theater to go see. It's a little weird. So look into it if you guys want tickets. Right. Really excited, but it will be great. Uh, one thing Scad and I have batted around is doing films get fingered kind of a series on the Kevin Smith films. So we'll see how this goes. And yeah. you know us, we aren't always great at committing to things. Although, you know, that whole thing, Scad, where we did finish all five of Song of Ice and Fire books is pretty cool. But I feel like I feel like committing to that. And it's weird because we never really talked about it ahead of time like yeah i'm gonna do all five and we'll make it all the way and nor do we talk about it in the middle of doing those books like but to me it became i mean it was always fun but it became a little bit of a like a slog to like we're almost there we've got to get there we've got to get there like almost like eating away at me you know especially at the end toward the end yeah, yeah that last half of beast dance yeah we both I mean, have commented that it was like we're almost there we just got to get this done yeah but but I still enjoyed doing it. It was just kind of like, it was just like very on my mind that it was coming and like we had to get there and it was a commitment and that like burned me out on commitments, I think. Like, I started reconsidering my marriage when that was over. I'm like, ah, commitment, man. Mm-hmm. Too far? <laughs> Too far? Well. I'll edit that out. You know. Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Our intelligence is questionable, but you are not dumb enough to reconsider your marriage to your wife because she's pretty freaking awesome. And I still sometimes wonder how you made that happen. But you're not alone. Many, many people do. No. Uh, yep. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on from uh, the self-deprecation so, and the Matt deprecation. Just to yeah, just to uh, circle back real quick. So that Films Get Fingered episode will be available to patrons. Um, so be looking out for that. On a, It'll be put up on our Patreon page. Absolutely. Uh, last piece of news real quick. Uh, news that, that I'm sure made Matt stand at attention today. It's... Something was on me was standing at attention. <laughs> it's not for sure Maybe yet, still is. But Matt's second favorite character in the Star Wars universe is Wedge. And maybe coming back for Rise of Skywalker? It's looking real close, man. And if... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, some news source... I don't, I've don't. i never even heard of them until today. Rebel Rises or something like that <laughs> reported that it was happening. Uh, that it was confirmed by someone in Dennis Lawson's camp. Dennis Lawson being the, char- the actor that plays Wedge. Um, and then there was something about a apparently the cover of one of the rise of skywalker novels was leaked and it's got a, a caricature of wedge antilles on the front so we'll see how that goes man that's crazy Seems i would pretty stand about the whole thing but die well it's it's to him to hear him talk about it is it was just kind of another role yeah you know the yep. fans kind of made wedge antilles more than he ever 
yeah was meant to be i think yeah um i'm certainly one of them uh but it kind of grew his his kind of cult following grew so rapidly um you know they made whole spin-off books about him and everything bigger than george lucas probably ever envisioned and bigger than dennis lawson ever envisioned and it's cool to see him perhaps get his due get a little bit of fan yeah. service having him back all right let's get to the cast Half the people out there are wondering what the hell we're talking about. Uh, all right, you're probably used to it by now, but this is this is fire and blood stuff. It's all history. Uh, it's all foreshadowing and setting up the world that we've all fallen in love with already. As such, we're not doing Davos After Dark. Nothing. This is totally full of spoilers. Anything goes. We don't care, so be prepared. It's all on the table. You betcha. And as always, if you want to reach out to us, we would love to correspond right the feck back to you. So uh, let's see. Well, how can you find us? DavosFingers.com. We are DavosFingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter Twitter handle is at DavosFingers. We're on Facebook. And of course, our Patreon program can be found at Patreon.com slash DavosFingers. Yeah, it can. With that out of the way, let's go. All right. Yes, sir. We have all been sucked into a song of ice and fire. If you're listening to this, you are all in. If you've managed to find our podcast and on episode 89, you're all in on that universe. <laughs> so much so that we've been sucked in. It spawned map books, novellas, a world book, and, and in-world history books. Not to mention a million podcasts like ours, essayists uh, like Travis, who published his first one today or yesterday, uh, and seemingly Congrats, billions. man. It was awesome seemingly billions of fans like you guys speculating about the future of the series and characters and where they're going to do going and what they're going to do not to mention you know an award-winning tv series that is considered one of the biggest and best in history of tv and while there are books that supply windows to the past beyond where we are right now in fire and blood the beginning of the political landscape as we know it for the main backdrop of this main backdrop of the song of ice and fire it really all begins here with Aegon and his sisters, Visenya and Rhaenys, smashing all resistance and founding a unified Westeros under her Targaryen rule. And here we go. All right, section one. Got a quote here to kick it off. Lord Aenar's maiden daughter, Daenys, known forever afterward as Daenys the Dreamer, had foreseen the destruction of Valyria by fire. And when the doom came, twelve years later, the Targaryens were the only dragon lords to survive. Okay, so we have to start out with some a little bit of nerdery and, and, de and definitions. BC. Yeah. Before the conquest. Before Christ. Before. Oh. For, oh. Yeah. Setting setting Aegon up to be a Christ-like figure, I guess. BC stands for before the conquest, and AC stands for after the conquest. Pretty simple. Uh. But here's the trick. AC no. doesn't really start <laughs> until after the conquest is mostly complete. More on that later. But when Aegon is crowned at Old Town by the High Septon is, is when it starts. It does not start on the date Aegon landed at the mouth of Blackwater and established what became the Aegon Fort, which would then become King's Landing. Are you guys asleep yet? Is it? Are we? Yeah, it's, it's a little rough at the beginning. Ugh. Let's get to the Targaryen Listen, stuff. It gets I've more exciting. Fix... Go ahead. I've got a fix for that. Oh. An easy fix, Gad. Ooh, ooh. For the AC and, and BC stuff. Yeah. Instead of... You can even keep the letter C. Change conquest to coronation. Ooh. 
Ooh. You got it. That's really good. You got good. it. That's really good. You Come should on, write boosters. that down and send it to... to... Don't send it to anyone. If you're going to send it to anyone, send it to Elio. I'll, I'll send it to... I'll send it to somebody. But yeah. Change, yeah, then you've got it. Send it to me, buddy. I'll fix. It. It's much better. I that's <laughs> Thank brilliant. You. Next. Next. Moving on. So this whole thing starts with Dayanus the Dreamer. Who? Exactly. The daughter of a ho-hum dragon lord A.N.R. Targaryen. Dayanus foretold the doom of Valyria in her dreams, prompting Dad to sell everything. I think buy Dragonstone and move there? Um... Danis, I think, is super underrated in the fandom. Um, every, they would have just died in the Doom and we wouldn't have this story at all. I mean, everything goes back to her, yeah. Right. And, you know, some some people some people were super into, you know, Danis and how badass she must have been, but she doesn't get enough enough play, in my opinion. I got to tell you. And good on though, Dad, too. Yes. A&R. <laughs> You're like you, believing his you, kid. You and I are on the same page, man. Yeah, I my gotta... kids like dad had a dream. Yeah, West Jordan's gonna get blown up. <laughs> yeah, I'd tell well, him. To, I'd tell him to get writing because it sounds like a great story. But I wouldn't sell everything in movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nope, not happening. I guess they live in magical times though, and so more likely to be believed. Still, good on dad. Way to believe in your kids and follow, go all out, follow that dream, literally. Interestingly, anyway, Dragonstone was not founded by the Targaryens. That's why I'm not sure about like how they got it. It had been in control of Valyrians for 200 years before the Targaryens got there. I think, is what the text is saying. Mm -hmm. Valyrians on Dragonstone, assisted by the Valyrians and Celtigars, two lesser houses of Valyrian descent, used the position for trade advantages, basically, right? Like, probably like blocking the port and like taking stuff or, you know, using it for you know, taxing them as the, to get them through or, you know, whatever. The Targaryens arrived none too soon because when the Doom hit, they were the only Dragonlord family of around 40 of them to survive. What do you think about that, Matt? Mm-hmm. All of them died. What do I think about what? Well, what... We, all if, the Valyrians died? Yeah, all the Valyrian Dragonlords. Because what we hear is that it was a vast kingdom, right? It spread all over to, like, the free cities in, of, of Essos and everything. Like, none of them were on a business trip that week? So it was reminiscent of the Roman Empire. Yeah, there should have been dragon lords kind of all over the place. Like, none of them were on a business trip out visiting, you know, Pentos that week or anything. Right. Like, the doom hit and got all four. It's just surprising, I guess. Anyway, it's a story. I'll move on. Um, after the doom, despite its proximity to Westeros, the Targaryens still focused mostly at looking back toward Essos, the lands they left, rather than the ones kind of right at their doorstep. I'll save you the biblical begat speech and just skip to eventually in 27 BC, Aegon, the future conqueror, was born. All these other Targaryens born, and eventually you get to 27 BC and Aegon was born. They don't really tell you much about all of his ancestors, but as was the custom, he went his eldest sister to keep the bloodline pure, as was not the custom, he also chose to wed Rhaenys, his younger sister. That was not unprecedented, but it wasn't the norm either. Um, all of them rode dragons from a young age. Aegon on Balerion, the only remaining dragon from when they moved west. And Vagar and Meraxes as well. Uh, 
they were the first dragons to be hatched on Dragonstone. But they all were dragon riders of the Young Age. Uh, and Aegon, for his, for his own part, was pretty obsessed with Westeros from the beginning. We aren't really told much about why, and this is a running theme for me, Matt. It's, it's funny, like, for as important as this guy is, we don't get a lot about what drives him. Like, why he's doing what he's mm -hmm. doing. He visited Old Town and the Arbor in his youth, maybe even Lannisport. He was obsessed enough and visited enough that he had the painted table carved and decorated. He's the one that got that thing done. The, the very same table we see Stannis Baratheon grinding his teeth over in A Song of Ice and Fire like a million times. Yeah. Stannis fame. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, a, a little weird. Um, he's obsessed with this. Um, but here we are. So, they also go into a little bit of, of political backdrop um, in this section. So, what Aegon saw is that Westeros is a mess. You guys, seriously a mess. It's wars all the time between the Seven Kingdoms. And some true despots, like true despots in power, taking whatever they want from whoever they want um, before Aegon kind of took over. Much of it, much of the continent was laid out like we know from Song of Ice and Fire. Starks in the north, Martell's in the south, Lannister's in the west, Aaron's in the Vale. However, there are some differences too. Uh, fabled House Gardner still controlled the Reach. The Tyrells that we know as being in control in Song of Ice and Fire are only their stewards. House Whore, an ironborn house, controlled both the Iron Islands and the Riverlands. And the Stormlands were controlled by House Durandal. I was going to say, as always, the Riverlands are getting crapped on. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they they really struggle uh, to, I don't know, maintain control. Um, yeah. It's basically but, just one atrocity to the next for, yeah. for the small folk of, of the Riverlands. They're a hardy folk. They are a hardy folk. Man. All about to change. For like a decade. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, House Durandon once ruled from the northern border of Dorne all the way up the eastern part of Westeros to the Bay of Crabs. But they were beset on all sides by the Dornish, the Gardeners, and now by House Hor in the Riverlands. It was tough sledding for them. For House Hor's part, it was all prosperity. Black Heron was a brutal ruler. His subjects were terrified of him. He had just completed the massive Heron Hall, the biggest... Uh, castle in the land a very powerful seat for him to rule from he looked to be expanding expanding into Stormlander territory and it was that expansion yep. that led Argilac, the arrogant of House Durandon to propose marriage of his eldest daughter and only heir to Aegon Targaryen promising him all the lands east of the God's Eye from the Trident to the Blackwater what's wrong with this plan? Well, here's the thing. That would be like me promising uh, Aegon to give Scott's house to Aegon. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't own that right now. It's not his to give. Right. House House Whore technically has that <laughs> land right now. Uh, I feel like we... I couldn't remember where it was, but I feel like we just saw this in A Song of Ice and Fire toward the end of, of our coverage of... Of dance or something it might have been the Night's Watch and the Gift or something else, but um, John maybe trying to give something that wasn't his to give. Anyway, yeah, he's trying to give this thing that's not his to give. Um, also, problem number two: Aegon was already married and not looking for a wife, so um, you know, not he's not really interested. 
Um, yeah, so there's that. Um, in what? How did Argolak take that? How did he take what? Oh, not well. Well, well, Aegon didn't take it well. And what would set the tone for a song of ice and fire? Oh, counter offer, counter offer. Yes, yeah. there's a mm-hmm. counter offer from Aegon, which. It feels like this is always how it goes in A Song of Ice and Fire, and it's almost like George is kind of uh, trolling us a little bit with this. Now that we've already read A Song of Ice and Fire, he's put this in here. Um, because it sets the tone for A Song of Ice and Fire, even though it's already written. Uh, an insulting counteroffer was launched. Aegon promised the hand of his bastard half-brother Oris Baratheon to Durandon's daughter if they increased the offer to include Massey's Hook and more of the Stormlands down to the edge of the Windwater to the tip of the Mander. Basically, it's saying... Give me some of your land, plus what you promised. And oh yeah, you can marry this bastard half-brother of mine instead of me. Now, this land, what they're requesting isn't that bad, really. But it is insulting, given these houses' histories in that region. So, to to Durandans, the Targaryens are, you know, they live on a stony island, right? They don't have the history. They're immigrants. Yeah, this, Mm -hmm. this is very insulting to him based on, you know, the history of their families. So, Argolak, <laughs> Argolak the Arrogant returns Aegon's en- envoy's hands in a box. That escalated quickly. These are the only hands <laughs> your bastard shall have of me, he says. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, uh, that, I put that exact note, Scott. We've been doing this together for far too long. <laughs> My final bullet point on my notes for this section are that escalated quickly. <laughs> because not only with the, the hands thing, but also Aegon, I'm sorry, you're going to get to this. He, this whole hand thing happens and Aegon's like, what the F, Argolak? Okay, I'm going to be king of the seven kingdoms now. Yeah. Like, Whoa, dude, 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 calm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. He takes this. So he... So, just to slow it down for a second, he sent a letter saying, hey, marry my daughter and I'll give you a bunch of land. He's like, I can't, I'm already married. How about she marries this dude and you give us a little bit more land? And then the guy cuts off the hands of the person that delivered the counter offer and <laughs> sends it that. back. And he gathers all the people he knows, right? And prays for seven days... And on the seventh day, emerges and sends ravens out to the entire king of West, kingdom of Westeros, who have no idea any of these letters were sent anywhere, and says, guess what? What's going on? They, they have no clue what's going on. <laughs> He's like, guess what? So here's how it's going to be. I'm your king now. This is how it is. <laughs> this is how far Aegon took this from a couple letters. And yeah, the hands missing is, that's mean. But like... War, like war on the whole continent like yeah being king now specifically he says <laughs> those who bent the knee could keep what they had those who fought would be thrown down humbled and destroyed yeah yeah, yeah. yikes which i mean you know we're we're being silly about this but it, it obviously highlights the fact that this has been on Aegon's mind for a long time it's it seems like it's something he's been thinking about as we said before his motivations and everything are very unclear. Why does he feel like he needs to do this? Why couldn't he just live out like his family's been living for so long on having a nice little life on Dragonstone? 
you know, who knows? But yeah, it's just like, whoa, whoa, brother, I need you to pump the brakes a little bit. You and I both have kids, Scad. It's like one of those situations where <laughs> he looked at me wrong. Well, yeah. she touched my arm when she walked by. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's black eyes and broken glass and yep. bar fights and blood and yeah. Boy, that must have been some night out. Uh, uh, straining orders. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird escalation. Uh, yeah. And, and actually not true, as we will see. Uh, right. right at least. Uh, those who fought would be thrown down, humbled, and destroyed. Because most of the people fight him for a time, and then he forgives them, and they still get all their stuff back. There are a few exceptions in there, and we'll get to we'll get to more of that in detail. Mm-hmm. But uh, not not all as dire as he's threatening. But it is it it is yeah. like got to carry said, that big stick. It does feel kind of like it's been on his mind for a while. Um, but it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of of. Uh, Damon Blackfire, hmm. like because remember we, we talked about this. Um, I don't even remember exactly when it was. It must have been when we were doing Dunkin' Egg stuff. But uh, just like what, what caused him to like finally like be like, all right, that's it. We're we're doing this rebellion. You know, like it seemed like he was kind of pushed along by others. And this this kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of the same thing. It's like, well, it's on his mind, but like. This letter just kind of pushed him over the edge for some reason. And now it's happening. A little weird. <laughs> Imagine his wives being like, wait, what are we doing? Wait, what? <laughs> I had plans. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, All right. Should we move on to the next section? You got anything else? I, I had a couple little things that that came to mind as I was looking at this. First of all, Balerion, man, that is an old freaking dragon. Yes. Yeah. So we don't know when exactly he was born. Yeah. Uh, he was alive at least in 126 when the Targaryens came to Westeros, <laughs> as you pointed out, Skad. Yep. So he died in 94 AC, which would have made him at least 220 years old and i'm guessing he was older i'm guessing he wasn't a hatchling when they came to dragonstone at least how much although it doesn't say? say 220 wow man yeah it's an, an old, old freaking dragon. dragon yeah yeah i was going back to that uh when it was viserys was the last one to ride balerion and it talks about how it was, had trouble getting him off the ground and stuff because he was so old. And that just really was like hit home. It's like, yeah, he was old. Why'd you even try to fly him? Like, give him a break. Yeah. Dude's been around the block a few times. But um, The other thing that stuck out to me is, you know how later in Fire and Blood, it always comes down to like having the pure bloodlines. And that's always the major question and yeah. everything. Yep. Friggin' Aegon's own mom wasn't a Targaryen. Yeah. She was a Valerian. Yep. Meaning, meaning that not even Aegon Targaryen, we're not even starting off this line with pure-blooded Targaryens. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Well, I, I, I mean, you know me, I've always hated that blood argument, because you go back far enough and it's, how, 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 what percentage of blood being pure is enough? I, it's, it's always bothered me. I hate the whole totally. thing. Totally. Totally. So they're already starting off at 50%. 
Um, they're starting off at way less than that, but yes. <laughs> Best case scenario, <laughs> if every single one of the sires before then were all Targaryen, pure Targaryen, then yes. Best case uh-huh. scenario, he's starting off at 50-50. That's assuming also that the Valerians never, you know, mucked it up with some mudbloods, right? Oh, bringing in the Harry Potter. Right, look at me go. Look at that slur. Yep. Um, let's see. The final thing, is it is this an okay time to talk about uh, Oris Baratheon's origins? Listen, this is Davos Fingers. It's always the right time. It's always the right time. I just thought it was interesting that he's a bastard, but he still has his own last name, right? Yeah. Yeah. I we don't of that call too. him Storm or I guess he'd be River no, not Rivers. Uh crap. What's the Crownlands one? Waters. Waters. But but would he be? be I mean I guess he would be. Uh, we don't know, like, who's he the bastard half brother? Like, which his mom, like his mom's, or his mom or dad? Dad's, I or... think they're saying there was dad. It was on the dad's side, is what they say. He was, was Arion's bastard okay. son. Um, but yeah, and and obviously the rules with dragon seed are maybe a little different. You know, the whole dragonstone, yeah. dragon yeah, they, seed, they thing, where they thought the it was dance. like an honor. Yeah, it's an honor, right? Right. But still, yeah. Why does he get? Why does he get his own name? None of those bastards get yeah. their own name, do they? I was looking in trying to find some origins on House Baratheon past Oris, and there's just nothing. Yeah. Uh, so I started just like thinking about it, and so Bar is that that prefix Bar is like a Jewish. It's often you find it on Jewish names or Jewish Aramaic. I think is something I saw when I was reading up on it, okay. and it means son of. Hmm. Right, so bar means son of, um, and and I couldn't confirm this. I well, my Google search lasted all of maybe seven or eight minutes. So when I say I can't confirm this, it's not like I put a ton of work into it. Really hard. I found a Reddit uh, post of a guy who was on the same lines as me. He actually found the bar thing too. It stuck out to him, and this guy he's on Reddit. His name's James R. Pokerface. Uh, <sighs> My, 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 my poker face. Sorry. Yeah, it, it, the poker face combined with James Polk, the U.S. Uh, president. Yes. Get it? Um, he says that the word Theon is a Germanic Anglo-Saxon word that means king. Huh. And that Baratheon together would mean son of a king, which is interesting. Mm. Hmm. But that's odd. Arion was not a king, unless you're implying was that, not actually, a king. that actually Oris was his son, which would be weird. Right, Aegon's son. That yeah, would be weird. If, Anyways, is that where you're going? That, I that's don't a conspiracy know. Just, I'd like to see. I just thought it was kind of interesting. I just thought it was kind of interesting, but it is interesting. Yeah. Huh. Uh, okay, that's all I had. All right, all right. Well, let's move on to the next section here. We've got a quote to kick it off. The dragons roared and the lords and knights sent up a cheer, but the small folk, the fishermen, and field hands and goodwives shouted loudest of all. They sure liked him. They did. Talk about that. So, um, Aegon, with an army of anywhere from like hundreds to about 3,000, which still isn't a ton, he leaves Dragonstone, lands on the northern bank of the Blackwater Rush. That's like that little 
thing of water. It's like not like a river, but it's kind of like expands into Blackwater Bay. And on this northern bank where there's three hills that rise above this little quaint small fishing village, the land had been claimed, this land had been claimed by both Heron, Hor, and the Stormlands, but it was kind of just left undefended. Uh, Aegon raises a wooden palisade around the three hills and claims it as his own, calling it the Aegon Fort. And then he begins kind of his uh, conquest of Westeros, starting from there. Rosby and Stokeworth, two towns that are very close to what is now King's Landing, they yield quickly uh, as Visenya and Rhaenys approach on dragons. They were smart. Uh, Maidenpool and Duskendale put up more of a fight, but they're defeated by Oris Baratheon. So, you know, they're kind of expanding out into Westeros. At this point, um, let's take a second and talk about these uh, these three siblings. Yeah, we know who they are, but let's talk a little. Let's try to dig into them a little bit. Um, first, you have Visenya. She's the oldest daughter, as Scat has already mentioned. Uh, she was. It said about her that she was as comfortable in ring mail as she was in silk. She had kind of a harsh austere beauty i was trying to think of like a famous actress out there i have one who would who do you got i think i think of of Visenya as robin wright Ooh, i didn't put robin that's a great one thank you where did i put my i had like i listed out like a whole bunch of them and now i can't find them Uh-oh. maybe i didn't well i think you'll like my pick for Visenya better than my pick for reyes Really? Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a giggle. You hated it so much. It was cute. You were so insulted you giggled about it. It was cute. It was cute. Uh, yeah, Robin Wright is a great one. Um, she Visenya was seen as stern, serious, unforgiving. Uh she also wielded the blade dark sister, yeah, which did. is pretty cool. She had her own Valyrian steel blade, which makes me wonder, Scad, how Targaryens anciently viewed, you know, their women, the women in the family and their daughters. And maybe this expands to Valyrians in general, not just Targaryens. Do do we have any indication that they were treated as kind of more equal to men? Then the rest of Westeros treated the ladies. You know, I don't know. I'm just thinking of Visenya, you know, having dark sister. She was well trained in the art of war, and I mean, it it feels like I I don't I don't know that we have this written in the text, but it feels like it. I mean, even just taking Danis and and how his father took that seriously, right? Instead of just brushing it mm-hmm. aside and. The fact that yeah. they care about the pure bloodline. It isn't just the strong male and his blood will be strong enough. Like they need, they need them both, right? They need, they need both sides. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it feels a little bit maybe like culturally, uh, that's more important. And you know, was Dark Sister made for a woman's hand? It's kind of hinted that it was. Um, certainly, there are men that wield it uh, as as time goes on. Um, I don't think that she's the first person to wield dark sister i think it's a blade that had been around before that um but i'm not sure whether that's true or not um 
I wonder I wonder too about her wielding it, whether it's foreshadowing about where it will all end up. We all know that um Ashaya of History of Westeros found out the Dark Sister is actually at the wall, or maybe beyond it, with with uh, Blood Raven in the cave. Um different theories around that, but who will end up with it, right? There's lots of speculation. Right. Mira might end up with it, or Arya, or maybe even Danny is kind of like a ceremonious Targaryen rite kind of a thing, like passes to her it's kind of like a a family thing even though she's totally see something like that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's even i've seen theories that like dark sister is actually long claw which doesn't fit um but uh yeah yeah i don't think it's but uh yeah very cool that she's she's this powerful this powerful warrior character something that we don't see a lot Again, really, um, up until Brienne, I guess, right? For sure. And you know, as we were talking about Valyrian steel just now, Scat, it hit me maybe why uh, the Targaryens or Valyrians established uh, Dragonstone as an outpost. Mm. Is maybe it was maybe it was a business thing? Mm-hmm. Maybe because we know that Westeros kind of went through this thing where people were buying Valyrian steel swords and these Westeros houses had Valyrian steel swords and they liked them and stuff. And they seemed to be like maybe kind of a fad back in the day. And I wonder if they established Dragonstone to kind of deal in Valyrian steel to the West of rest of Westeros. Yeah. There's also the mention of dragon steel. Uh, Sam finds that mentioned in the books uh, up yeah. in the library. And we know mm-hmm. the dragon glass, um, is found beneath Dragonstone. Uh, again, yeah, there's perhaps, lots of those resources on yeah, Dragonstone. Perhaps mm-hmm. some, yeah, some, some things that they valued there as a, a reason to stay, mm-hmm. keep it as a as an outpost. Right. Yeah. Okay. Found found my list of actresses that I'd put on. Oh, put good. Down. That's um, important. Not thing. not so much that could not so much that could play Visenya, but just kind of have that kind of more stern austere beauty you know what i mean like hard you're kind of scared of them but at the same time they're beautiful um charlize theron uh nicole kidman to a degree halle berry gal gadot and maggie q that's what i put down who's maggie q they're kind of women that scare me a little bit but they're beautiful i don't know maggie q uh i've got a huge crush on maggie q I'll look her up She's later. Hawaiian. Yeah, look her up. She's absolutely gorgeous. Okay. Um, but the difference between Visenya and Rhaenys is the difference between, say, Charlize Theron and Reese Witherspoon. Um, it's funny. I Rhaenys... picked Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rhaenys was seen as more playful, curious, given to flights of fancy. She loved music, dancing, poetry. They said she was no true warrior, although it seems she could hold her own. Uh, the difference, however, one thing that she did have was she had a passion for flying. It said she flew Meraxes more than Aegon and Visenya combined on their dragons. Uh, she loved being on dragonback up in the air. When she wasn't up in the air, she was surrounded by handsome hotties. She loved uh, being around the dudes, especially the artists. Um, and it was apparently she was beautiful. Um, uh, what was the thing here? It said that it was rumored that King Aegon spent ten nights with her for every one night with Visenya. Yeah. Aw. 
Yeah. I don't know if it said you cared that much. I don't know. You don't know. There's you a Third get... Eye Blind song. It's... Oh, go ahead. Third Eye Blind song. Let's get it in. There's a Third Eye Blind song that says, you know I love you, but I feel so one in ten. I wonder if Fisenia was singing that. But... You know I love you, but I feel so one in ten. It's actually, it's an interesting song. It's a Chasing Amy type song. It's about um, the the character, the guy character, trying to get this woman to have sex with him, even though she's a lesbian. That's what the song's about. Yeah, I can't say I recommend it. Having dated one. Uh, uh, there you go. Um, even there's even a line in the song where he says, where he says something like, um, "It's all the same when you go down. Um, can't you just close your eyes or something like that?" <laughs> but anyways, interesting song. It is not. It's a really same. pretty. It's I, I absolutely it's not absolutely it's not, and I think that's kind of. It's what he's trying to say in a way uh, is that he's saying it, but it's you're supposed to kind of be like, no, no, it's not. I think he's trying to make a point with it, but it's a lovely song. It's like a ballad. It's beautiful. And it totally catches you off guard when you like listen to the lyrics and go, oh, my gosh, dude. Like, <laughs> well, cease and desist. Off, man. Yeah. She's, she's not interested. <laughs> Get away. Get a job, as some people would say in the fandom. <laughs> Chloe, Chloe. Now, I'm not saying that Visenya was a lesbian, people. Uh, just the one in ten thing made me think of it. <clears throat> the uh, song's called One in Ten. Look it up. It's a good song. You don't <clears throat> you don't get much about Rayanus and Visenya's relationship. No. Uh, you're hinting that, like, you know, did she care about the one in ten or not? Do you think she resented was there her? Some jealousy? Do think, yeah, do you think they got along? By all accounts, they did. <clears throat> and I wonder if they recognized how perfectly they complemented yeah. each other. Yeah. And so, whereas Visenya's like, I'm not into that whole art thing. We'll see later that Rayanese's interest and passion for things like the arts ended up being a real benefit, however indirectly, to Aegon's early reign. And kind of the PR uh, benefits that her entertaining all these singers had on the whole kingdom yes um but i it's kind of like you do your thing i'll do my thing and together we're just what Aegon needs we're the perfect queen together right yeah, yeah i just i just humans are just so jealous men right all of us i just it feel i don't did you ever watch big love that might have been i don't know if you watched that I never watched it. Good for you? And question mark. I mean, it, this it wasn't it wasn't out of like I'm not watching that show. I right. just never watched it. Yeah. Uh I mean it it's uh, it was good and trashy I felt like at the same time. Uh but mm -hmm. there was always this sense of like to me it felt like there was always this sense of like fairness between him and the wives and like is he giving them the same amount of attention and love and Sure. Yeah. And the, you know, obviously, it's yeah. a very different environment with very different stimuli. But I just, I, it has, it has to be running underneath all the threads, and maybe they just look past it. And like, you know what? Doesn't matter. We are what we we are what we need to be for each other, and that's uh -huh. that's what matters. Maybe that's true. But but when you look at Rayanus's Rayanus's disloyalty to hit to Aegon, so Visenya was loyal, Aegon was loyal. 
to his wives. Rhaenys was sleeping around. Like, that Well, that allegedly. Uh, I mean, yes. But Maybe. Look, and... Uh, be sexually free or whatever, but it feels like two of them are on the same page and the other one is not. Right? Uh-uh. You th- I mean, yeah. may- uh, do you think Aegon just didn't care? Um... I think he cared, but not to the point that he's going to stop it. I can see him being like, listen, if you're going to do this, you can't mess up this this thing we've got going we've got. right yeah. with the king. You just cannot mess this really up. Important. So, yeah. It's right. just carnal, fine, yeah. whatever. Get them to write better songs, but leave it at the door or the bedpost or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> well, let's talk about Aegon. Yeah. He's... He was known as one of the greatest warriors of his age, but he wasn't flashy about it. He didn't compete in tourneys or melees. Um, He flew on his dragon on Beleriand kind of only when he had to. He wasn't one of those guys to just go on joyrides. He's very enigmatic in a way. He had a very commanding presence. Like, he could take over. He was the right personality for being the first king of the Seven Kingdoms, at least in this Targaryen dynasty. But he really didn't have a lot of close friends, right? Oris Baratheon, Orby, as I've taken to calling him, was kind of his only real close friend. He was also a delegator. He wasn't someone that needed to micromanage. Uh, he, He left much to his sisters and to his counselors. He took command when was needed, and he was a very decisive commander, which I think is a very are some fantastic leadership qualities in Aegon that he was willing to let other people handle things. But when he stepped in, he really stepped in and he was able to take charge and be that leader that was needed. Um, but yeah, there's kind of these, these opposing sides to Aegon's personality and everything socially, his leadership style, um, even with his enemies, as Scad's already talked about a little bit, he was harsh, but also open-handed uh, and so he's kind of a hard guy, I think, for his subjects to put a finger on. And he's an equally hard guy for us as readers to really put a finger on. Well, it's hard um, to put a finger on him when you don't get much. I mean, I know we like you, you, you almost get platitudes in this section about Aegon, about how great he is, but never like mm-hmm. the supporting details or, or not many supporting details around it. I just, like, remember when we were talking about the dance, it's like, hey, Matt, we got uh, 20 pages here that cover two years, right? And here we got, you know, like, 20 pages that cover, like, 40 years. Right. Like, Yeah, there's definitely, like, on one, if I didn't know George better, I'd be like, this is really lazy writing about a major character. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd go I, far as lazy, but, like, maybe just intentionally sparse. Like, he's... And that's what I mean. If I didn't know George better, yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe say that. But I have to feel like he's hiding something for a reason. But I don't know. Well, and so, yeah, so because you're right, it's like why? Okay, so why? Tell me why? With all these things that Aegon does, why? Why? Right. And it started making me think a little bit. Uh, and I, I always do this, but like, why? Why is he doing all this to begin with? And I go back to, like, he's not a super mm-hmm. religious guy, right? It says that nope. later. But he went and prayed for seven days 
to mm-hmm. I guess the seven, uh, and then came out and knew that he needed to conquer Westeros, and it made me think a little bit more about our Aegon nose theory, and that maybe this okay. Aegon also knew. The Aegon nose theory mm-hmm. for those that don't remember, because maybe Matt and I barely do, <laughs> and, and we kind of came up with it, or at least we think we did. Uh, Aegon knows. Aegon knows. Is that Aegon the Fifth <laughs> knew that that the others were coming, that there needed to be a presence at the wall. He sent uh, Blood Raven and uh, Amon. Maester Amon up there to be there for it and to kind of try to take control and, and, and meld it and, and, you know, make it happen. The text doesn't really it support really well. It segues into our Team John Yeah, it, segue, it segues into Team John a little bit. Uh, but it makes me wonder if Aegon also knew this Aegon and that that's why he's doing it, because he knew that they would need a united kingdom to combat this when it mattered. And it's a big speech. And they would need fire. And they would need fire. They would it's, it's a, fun to think about. It's, it's fun a, to draw that connection clear back to the beginning. It's a huge stretch. It's a huge stretch. But like when you look at why, it's like, yeah, why? Just because mm-hmm. power? Just because? Just because? He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy that's like, I need to do this because I'm better than they are. He doesn't, again, we don't get a lot, but it doesn't feel like he's that way. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to bring this up later, but this is no time to do it. My... He, his leadership style is the are we good leadership style like later on when he's got his when he Torrin Stark bends the knee or or Edmund Tolley in the Riverlands it's like Aegon is like okay you did pay homage to me are we good now yeah you got your lance I gave you stuff are we good yeah okay we're good okay I'll see you later Ooh. and then he's gone right yeah <laughs> like, are we good and that's, just, my, that's my catchphrase I'm going to keep coming back to with this episode. Are we good now? Yep. Okay, yep. I'll see you later. It and then mi- he's gone. It, it reminds me a little bit of Baylor Breakspear. A little bit. Like, he relies uh-huh. on his relationships and his um, charisma a bit and his just complete capability to just kind of get these things done and then trust that it's okay. It's yep. like We good? They, yeah. Okay. Call, and, me if the, call me if there's a big problem. Other than that, you're good. Okay, see you later. But like, but, yep. but that's the thing. What was the problem? I don't know what he's trying again. Exactly. Power and jingoism and all that stuff aside, like why is he doing this? It's weird, man. Mm-hmm. I think it's weird, and we don't get it from George, and that's why I feel like it's intentionally sparse. Maybe not, yeah. but like that he's leaving something out because he doesn't want us to know, or I don't know. I got. Nothing. That's what I think it is. I think I think the reason for George publishing Fire and Blood is a great big hint. I really do believe this is that it's stuff that once the whole A Song of Ice and Fire series is all said and done, we'll be making connections yeah. right and left. We'll be going, oh, that's why he, he told us this in Fire and Blood. You'll look back, oh, that's page why 12, that came up. line 10, but, word 5, and be like, look, right. he just told us. Yeah. yeah, and I think this was his way of putting all those hints in, in giving us the hints without, Without trying people. to shoehorn yeah. them all into a song of ice and fire the actual series we get so them. i'm excited anyways where were we so we were talking about uh we talked about the three of them um when they're on the black rotter rush they've established the Aegon fort and we have a tiny little shotgun coronation ceremony right yeah um they're on the banks of the blackwater rush the targaryen 
banner newly minted and created with the new Targaryen sigil is unfurled. Yes. Red three-headed dragon on black. It's like the NHL just started up this past week and the first home game for the St. Louis Blues, they raised their Stanley Cup championship banner to the rafters of their arena that they play in where it will hang forever. And this reminded me of that. They they raised the new Targaryen banner to the rafters in some big ceremony. Dramatic music yeah. playing, all that stuff. And what a, what a great way to like integrate themselves into the into Westeros into Westerosi community, right? Yep. Hey, man, I I too like food and Netflix, right? I I too have a banner. <laughs> I have a sigil and, and words. I... This hadn't stuck out to me. I'd read the chapter before and everything, but this was the first time that the Targaryens had, you kind of just imagine that the Targaryens had always had this sigil and they hadn't until now. Yeah. This was Aegon, like you said, in keeping with the Westerosi tradition of having a sigil for your major house, for all houses, they developed this one. I like to ask the questions like that don't matter at all. Like who designed this? Who commissioned it? Yeah. Did Aegon be like, hey, I need a seamstress to go do this, and I want it to look like this? Or did he delegate I imagine it? Or, it did. You know, like... Do you think the three dragons at the time referred to Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys? Yes. It had to, right? I think so. It had to. Yeah. People have, uh, people bring up the dragon has three heads and that whole thing that you know is littered throughout Song of Ice and Fire. And like, is it, it's prophecy, but it's also just maybe referring back to Aegon and his sister's dragon must have mm-hmm. three heads well it didn't for most of the rule of you know targaryens what, uh, <laughs> you know you know what right. I mean? like yeah uh, uh-huh. yeah I, I feel like it was pretty simple the guy designing was like oh uh, they're kind of all in charge Rainus is the one that told me to do it i better give her a head and i'm not going to give one to <laughs> aegon and not Ra- and Rainus and not visenya because then i'll lose my own head so i guess we'll just it probably Ra- was Rainus that came up with an initial <laughs> yeah. design they're <laughs> like, well, well, but a dragon with three, have you ever heard of or seen of a dragon with three heads? No. Let's write a prophecy about it. Yeah. <laughs> prophecy that Miss Red could have been. Well, uh, Yoda? Um, yep. Oh, my kids watched the Yoda dying scene in Jedi recently. They didn't like Oh, it. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Don't blame them. Uh, let's see. So... What else happens at this coronation? There's not very many people there. Scad read the quote about the small folk cheering loudest of all. They were excited. Uh, he was hailed as Aegon, first of his name, king of all Westeros and shield of his people. Uh, Oris Baratheon. Aegon specifically called out and named him my shield, my stalwart, my strong right hand. And that's that's considered kind of the the introduction to the king having the king's hand was what he ended up calling Oris Baratheon that day. Interesting that Oris Baratheon loses his hand. We'll talk about that later when we get to the Dorne stuff. Um, But I want to get to some of that stuff. So real quickly, what ends up happening is uh, the seven kings of Westeros, Lannister, Gardner, all those guys, when they hear about what's going on, they, they scramble. Uh, normally they probably wouldn't care about a small force of 3,000 troops they can come and crush them. But we've got three Death Stars that are also on the side of those 3,000 troops. So this is cause for concern. Um, Myrn, who's Myrn Gardner, 
that just sounds like Mark. the name of like your neighbor, your 80 year old neighbor in Wisconsin or something. Yeah. Mern, Mern Gardner yeah. <laughs> allies with Lauren Lannister uh, to, to handle this threat together. The Aaron's make an offer of peace, uh, the Martells as well. Um, but they want to just be allies. They're not going to submit to the Targaryens, of course. <clears throat> but no, here's what's going to happen. Aegon sends Oris Baratheon, Orbi, and Rhaenys together with the majority of his troops to Storm's End. They are going to attack the House Durandon. He sends Visenya along with her dragon and newly minted admiral of the Targaryen fleets, his friend Daemon Valerion, to the Vale, where they're going to take that place over. Uh, then he himself, Aegon, goes to Harrenhal. He's going to take on Harrenhor himself. Um, all these are met with quite a bit of opposition. Uh, Oris and Rhaenys lose about a thousand troops from ambushes on their way to Storm's End. Uh, a third of the Aran fleet, which is supplemented by Bravosi warships, is defeated or excuse me, a third of the Targaryen fleet is defeated by, is destroyed by the Aaron fleet, which is supplemented by Bravosi warships. Does that make sense? <laughs> um, and then Heron's sons and their troops inflict heavy losses upon Aegon's troops at Harrenhal. So things aren't starting off well, but what do the Targaryen, does the Targaryen army have? Death stars. They got Death Stars. So Storm's End, uh, Rhaenys and Meraxes simply burn the woods where the ambushers are hiding and destroy them all. Uh, at the Vale, yes, they sunk a third of the Targaryen fleet, but then enters Visenya and Vagar, and she absolutely decimates the Aran fleet. And then Harrenhal, um, are we going to talk about that? Yes, we are. Right. We get to the no. Aaron Hall stuff. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. But we, you know, if you're familiar at all with uh, a Song of Ice and Fire history, you know what happens at Heron Hall. So it's just interesting that. Well, also before you know, he gets to Heron Hall, he also, right after the the loss that they suffer. On oh, the at lake, the Battle of the Reeds. Yeah. 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 He, Aegon comes in with Valerion and toasts everybody. The sons, the some of Hor's sons, killing Heron Hall's yeah. sons. Yep kills right after that battle so even their defeats didn't end in defeat it's it's almost though like uh it's almost like aegon and his sisters are learning how to fight uh -huh. how do i use these things well war usually just send the troops in oh no wait i got this this thing i can use right like why don't right. you just lead with that but. Exactly, especially with the veil stuff. It's like, why did you wait for a third of the ships to be destroyed? Yeah, that that one. I mean, all of them a little bit, but that one specifically. It's like the dragons literally flying above the ocean, waiting for the ships to get to engage yep. in battle. Like, it could have just gone and done it. It's and I wonder if I wonder if Aegon had it in his mind to try to like prove, maybe even to himself, that he could do it without the dragons if he had to yeah just like like i can do this and yeah. then when he realized he couldn't then he'd bring in the 
and that just seems like a way to just lose a lot of troops when you don't <laughs> yeah. have to lose them. It doesn't, but, yeah, it doesn't seem very pragmatic, but it's like how in Power Rangers they'd always oh. Rita would always send in the putties first. Yeah. Even though you knew the putties were just going to get trashed by the Power Rangers, why would you even send them in? Yeah, why not just send in the monster? That's why. It's true. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we we had a lot of discussion on this section, so but I'm I think we're done now. All unless right. you had some stuff to cover. No, I kind of intermixed it in the middle. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, all right, the Fall of Kings. Here we go. Quote, here's the quote. Aegon had noted the absence of rain as well. The grass and wheat that surrounded the armies was tall and ripe for harvest. And very dry. So, we'll go back to uh, mm. the uh, the battle in and around Harrenhal. So, House Horror was not your run-of-the-mill, flash-in-the-pan, ironborn invasion. Not like they usually do, where they kind of get in and get out. This one had staying power. Three generations of rule in the Riverlands. Three generations. Long yeah. time for Ironborn, right? So he sacks their lands, yeah. takes whatever he wants, all in the name of finishing Harrenhal and, and enriching his own purse. Basically, though, they hate him, right? And it doesn't take long after Aegon, you know, starts his, his whole, you know, conquest that Edmund Tully leads a revolt against House Hor. Uh, Edmund Tully freaking rocks, by the way. Yeah. I like that guy. He basically gets the entire strength of the Riverlands to join him, and they march on Harrenhal mm -hmm. as well. So it's Black Heron holed up in the biggest castle in the land, and he ain't scared. He got food, Against he got everyone. water yep. in the lake. He all good. No, it ain't all good. After an aborted parlay attempt in which Heron was disinclined to acquiesce to his request, asserting that his walls are strong and thick and the stone doesn't burn, Aegon states, <laughs> when the sun sets... Your line shall end. So Can't it did. say you weren't warned. Yeah, and so it did. Aegon took Beleriand high into the sky and came straight down on Harrenhal like a lightning bolt, disallowing any sort of defense from the massive walls of the castle. Everything burned but the stone, and even that wasn't undamaged. The five tall towers of Harrenhal now resembling melted candles thrust up into the sky. And as promised, House, House Hor and Heron himself was no more. The next day, Edmund Tully mm. was named Lord Paramount of the Trident, and the melted and twisted swords of Harrenhal were sent by wagon to the Aegon Fort. Boom. Anything to add on the destruction of Harrenhal? Uh, well, just that uh, I really like Edmund Tully. You know, it reinforces that thing that all it takes is one good man. And it also reinforces that uh, in the in terms of Harrenhal... Men will follow you when they have a reason to be afraid of you. Yeah. But when there's that's the problem with fear-based rule. When there's no more reason to be afraid, bye. Bye, Felicia. Yeah. Like we're gonna go on the guy side of the guy that has dragons. Um they're also all... just this whole heron. Go ahead. Well, also they're those people that are following you on fear, they're always looking for an opening. Yep. And this was the perfect thing. Yeah. They will you when you are practicing rule based or, or fear based rule. Yeah, you always have to be looking behind your back, right? Because your subjects are always going to be looking for a way out. Um, and you know this was gruesome. He the whole house horror was wiped out. 
uh, as you mentioned. And but from the perspective of well, it's really the best thing that could happen for Aegon and his conquest is this decisive. Not just we didn't just beat you on the field of battle, but we wiped out your whole freaking house. Yeah. Uh, for a guy who's as open-handed as Aegon was, people might try to take advantage of him. But all he needs to point back to is, look what I did to Hall. And although he's still open-handed with a lot of people, all they need to do is think back on Hall to go, okay, I could be on a short leash, though, if I mess this up. Not only am I gone, but everything yeah. my family has built for centuries is gone too. Well, and he picked he picked the perfect he picked the, the perfect, perfect guy. example to do it to. Also, yeah. right? Everyone hates the, him. The terrible guy. Yeah. His whole. Yeah, it's not like he did it to House Aaron or something right. like that. Yeah, I mean, he picked <laughs> he picked the perfect the perfect suspect. You know, good point. House Darkland uh, of Duskendale and uh, Newtons of Maiden Newtons of Maidenpool, I think, both fought a little bit too. He didn't wipe them out. Right, mm-hmm. like he waited for the right yep. example to show that he could, and did, and would. Perfect guy, and yep. yeah, picked the right example. Somebody who was going to get rid of anyone, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but but also to your point, yes, people saw that and took notice of what happened at Harrenhal. Case in point, Argalac the arrogant, befitting his name, Argalac decided not to hole up in his castle. He rode out to face Rhaenys Oris and the advancing host. The battle came to be, no, be called the Last Storm, and Argalac's forces advanced on Oris, who had taken a position of strength up on top of some hills, three hills. Um, Argalac had an advantage too, though, even though he was on the low ground. There was a storm blowing directly into the eyes of the defenders of, of Oris on the hills. He also outnumbered his enemy two to one, so he had some advantages. It took several thrusts, but two of the hills fell, and the third one was about to. The Baratheon center was broken, but as they poured through it, mm-hmm. they encountered Maraxes, mounted by Rhaenys, on the ground. Ta-da! She's just, like, in the rain, on the hill, in the mud, just, like, thrashing about. She unleashed flame and broke the charge, burning many and thrust the attackers down the hill, back in confusion. Oris pursued down the hill and found Argalac at the bottom waiting for him. They fought, one-on-one, man-to-man, hand-to-hand. And Baratheon came out on top, crushing the heart of the Stormlanders. Uh, rather than face the dragon fire, those that remained in the castle, Storm's End, turned on Argella Durandon, uh, that's uh, Argalac's daughter and only heir, bound and gagged her and delivered her to Oris under a peace banner. Oris unbound her, treated her kindly. Naked, by the way. Yeah, naked as well, yep. Told her of her father's noble end, took Lady Argella for his wife, and took Storm's End and its banners and words for his own. That's how you do it, son. Yeah, I mean, that could go two ways, right? That could go really badly, like, you presumptuous prick. <laughs> or it could be like, oh, look, he, he respects us. He wants to keep, you know, keep the keep the line alive and keep, you know. Right, yep. And I think it went, went the second way, and, and maybe that speaks to some sort of, you know, well-hidden Baratheon charisma or something. Mm-hmm. Bobby certainly has some of it. <laughs> See, he's like, so Aegon, I did a thing today. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. 
Um, <laughs> do you mind if I marry this girl and take the castle? I'll totally bend my knee to you. <laughs> so I did the thing. Mm, love it. Yeah. <sighs> uh, there was something, just a little tiny thing. It's hardly even worth mentioning. Probably isn't. I'm going to do it anyway. It mentions ben, that, that. That's perfect for us. Yeah. It mentioned in the text wet bowstrings and that archers are like the archers were useless in the rain because of wet bowstrings. Did you see well, this? Yeah. Well. And it made me think first of Lord the of the Rings. Elves and Haldir and who shouldn't have been there at all in the first place. But uh and how it's just raining everywhere and mm-hmm. they're all just firing and firing and firing. Is that a thing? Is wet boast? I need, I need, man, I, I need. I you need tell us, Kalisar. I need beef fish. Does that tell really me. mess things up? Yeah. Tell, I don't know. I don't know if he's got expertise in uh, in, in war of this age, but wet boast? Is goes. that a but, thing? There's others too. Yeah. Is that a problem? It's never been mentioned before. I've literally never heard it in anything yep. that I've read or seen. Maybe. It makes sense to some degree, but. I, Anyway, moving on. The Field of Fire. So the Reach and the Westerlands, uh, Matt already kind of mentioned, have made common cause. King Myrn Gardner and Lauren Lannister, King of the Rock, have combined their forces to put an end to Aegon for well and good. Uh, and they've assembled what is basically the biggest force in Westeros history. It's 55,000 people. Holy crap. Aegon moved to meet them. And the result was the Field of Fire. He got his sisters in on it. Uh, they met on a wide open plain with dry grasses, the only geographic feature. The field was wide open. No storm. It was ideal for the huge advantage and heavy horse that Mern and Lauren commanded. Their numbers meant they could sweep around the sides and surround the smaller host while smashing them with their armored horse in the center, which they had a much greater size armored horse. It's a good plan they had. But again, dragons, yep. y'all. Like, the great equalizer. So the siblings had come together, and that was all they would need, really. They raised the dry grasses and wheat in the fields, and raised a wall of fire around the advancing host. Uh, it was more of a massacre than a battle. Like, flaming flaming people stumbling through the fires to meet their end at swords and arrows and spears of the attacking Targaryen army. Uh, the Targaryens mm-hmm. lost around 100 men. Uh, there were five key dead on the Gardner Lannister side, including Myrn himself, and apparently all his kin, all of them, all of them. King Lauren bent the knee shortly thereafter and was confirmed in his lands and titles, as did many other lords of the Reach. And, of course, more swords were sent downriver to the Aegean yeah. Court. Yeah. Well, it just shows how powerful just the idea of dragons are, and just... Yeah. I mean, not only so so five thousand, as you mentioned, died during the battle, and it says ten thousand more were severely injured yes. from the dragon fire. Yep. Even still, that it leaves thirty five thousand troops. That is still a massive, massive army. Yeah. And they still surrendered. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they, they saw because of course they, they did the writing on because the wall. of course they did. Yeah, yep, they knew they had to. That just shows how powerful 
the that uh, these these dragons can be. So there weren't many battles in the the conquest. You think of the conquest as this long thing that Aegon had to. It was like it was the slog uh, to conquer the seven kingdoms, and really there weren't that many big huge battles, right? It was a handful. Yeah, and relatively quick when you've got dragons you can do that yeah he lost a few of those early skirmishes like you like you said but basically this was there's a new sheriff in town and and nobody could do much about it and you know it's kind of funny like i don't know men are prideful i guess but like they couldn't they couldn't see it coming maybe they thought it would be easier to bring down a dragon than it is right like, yep. Like, well, you just shoot them with arrows. We got, we got fifty-five thousand men. Twenty thousand of them are archers. Like, let's just, well, somebody's gonna hit them, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can we not with an army this big? Right. Yeah. But yeah, they've never I mean, fought dragons before. Yeah, they hadn't. True. So, uh, anyway, very cool. Uh, very cool little section there. Um, with mm-hmm. Aegon basically expressing his will and enforcing it on. At least the lower two thirds of the kingdom. Yes, sir. All right. Let's keep let's keep the train keep rolling all night yep. long. All night, all night long. I was going with Aerosmith. Oh, train kept rolling I'm fine. All night long. No, no, right. it's fine. It's all fine. It's all you know. We're different. <laughs> All right. right. Completing the kingdom is the title of our next section. Yes. From that day to this day, Torrin Stark is remembered as the king who knelt. But no Northman left his burned bones beside the trident, and the swords Aegon collected from Lord Stark and his vassals were not twisted, nor melted, nor bent. There's something to be said for that. There is. So, yeah, we call this section completing the kingdom, or Scad called it that in our in our notes this time, and and it's a it's a really fitting title. So after this great victory at the Field of Fire, Aegon, knowing the importance of Highgarden in particular in the Reach, gets his butt on down there. Uh, wanted to get there before someone else can move in and lay claim to this this massive house holdings that has now been vacated with the destruction of House Gardener. He gets there, and Harlan Tyrell, who is the steward in charge of High Garden, the Tyrells had served as gardener stewards for centuries, he yields without even a fight. For all for yielding, this is what's so great about Aegon, right? Yes. For yielding, Harlan Tyrell, for yielding, receives High Garden and all its domains. He's named warden of the south and lord paramount of the mander and he's given dominion of all of house gardener's former vassals harlan tyrell you made a good deal it's kind of like that valet in the 80s movie who's tossed the keys to the car and then just told to keep them right (laughs) he's like i did nothing all i did was catch the keys like why do i what fault Folks have tried a lot harder for a lot less yeah. on Wind Peak. Um, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So Harlan Harlan really came up on top there. 
shortly after Aegon receives words word that House Stark and the North has entered the Riverlands, they'd come south with a force of thirty thousand troops. Aegon rallies all his forces, you know, adding in especially those those forces from uh, the Westerlands and the Reach. He's got about sixty thousand at his command, plus three dragons. Don't even need the sixty thousand. Rather than uh, certain destruction, Torrin Stark known as the king who knelt, uh, kneels he without a fight. And Aegon, of course, for kneeling, names him Warden of the North and sends him alive and well and on his way back up to the north. It was a nice march down south, boys. Take some pictures. We'll stop at some gift shops, but we're heading back home. Um, this is another example to me of Aegon and his so... Are we good? Yeah. Leadership. He's just like, all right, you're not going to attack me right, right, Torin. So we good? And all right. Shake hands. You go north, I'll go south, and we're fine. And it makes me wonder, too, you know, Torin maybe knew, like, okay, yeah, I'm kneeling. But, like, they're just going to leave us alone up there. All right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, we're probably still going to live the way we live, and the north is so remote, and... Probably, I wonder how much he felt like, yeah, I'm kneeling and it looks bad, but probably things are going to remain mostly the same. Oh, it was, yeah, it was, he absolutely 100% made the right choice. Yeah. Even if, like you said, his northern army is like, what a wuss. Yeah. We came all this way and we're not going to fight? Yeah. That's not how northerners are. Even yeah. if we die, we die with glory. He's like, no, I'm going to send you back to your wives. I would have Let's liked go. to read the story, though, about Brandon Snow trying to poison the dragons. It's a cool little sidebar, isn't it? They, it's worthless and doesn't do anything, but I still want to read it. Of course. Yeah. Those are the best kinds. Yeah. Um, you'll notice we haven't talked much about the veil. As so usual. As, as is common with the veil, they, are, uh, they have a boy ruler, <laughs> Ronald Aaron. His mother, Shara Aaron, who's kind of running things while Ronald comes of age, strengthens her defenses all around the Vale, at the Bloody Gate, at all the little uh, way castles on the way up to the Erie. But like a um, Rebel Alliance trooper shooting his rifle at an ADAT, it's pretty useless when there's dragons coming. So Visenya... <laughs> Rather than attacking, she flies Vagar just right into the inner courtyard of the Eyrie, just whoop, and sets down. And Shara comes out into the courtyard to find Ronald Aaron. Now, first of all, who let Ronald Aaron out into the courtyard when a dragon lands in the middle of it? Maybe he was already out there. I don't know. But Shara comes to find Ronald sitting on Visenya's knee. Now, is there anything more horrific that would scare you more, Scad, than to find yourself in that scenario of your worst enemy holding your child. I don't know if it's the worst enemy, but well, your enemy. It's funny that's um, the way you put it, because I I think it could have been much worse. I think I, I think this is an interesting picture that, that George has painted because it's two women. The, this is this is hashtag the best story we get, I think, about about these kingdoms and how they're conquered and taken, because it's just two women that come to some terms and she doesn't come to the boy with a knife at his throat. It's Visenya mm-hmm. with the boy on his lap. And yeah, you know, 
it's maybe like Rob with the naked steel on his lap, but, you know, there is a threat there. But she's not hurting him. She's not threatening him. She's just, you know, holding him and, you know, showing him the little the big dragon, you know. And then they just talk through it. Yeah. And it's it's nice. Like, here, Matt, here's the women quote. should be in charge. I'm just right. saying it. Here's the quote. No threats were spoken. No angry words exchanged. The two queens smiled at one another and exchanged courtesies instead. Yeah. Shari yields up the veil, pays homage. Visenya gives Ronald a ride around the Eyrie on the dragon. <laughs> Which, this whole exchange, you know, we just talked about the harshness of Visenya and the, you know, unforgiving nature and everything. And so... With that, in that context, this exchange feels a little out of character for Visenya, and I love it. I love that we get this additional side of Visenya that shows that she can demonstrate this really sly way, this really diplomatic way. And it's a fierce diplomacy, but of going about this where she didn't have to kill anyone, and she got the job done. I thought that was really Really cool. It's one of my favorite passages of, of this whole episode, too, Scott. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's a great story. And also, you wonder if it's, again, foreshadowing for, you know, when Danny returns with dragons and how the veil is approached, you know, whether we'll get something similar. Uh-huh. Yeah. Things don't run quite as smoothly for Rannies, uh, who is sent to Dorne to demand submission there. Town after town that she arrives at has been abandoned. Faith, God's grace, Planky Town. Nothing but old people and kids are left there, and they won't say anything about where the troops are. Eventually, Rainies makes it to Sunspear, where she encounters 80-year-old Maria Martell, known as the Yellow Toad of Dorne, who says to Rainies, I will not fight you, nor will I kneel to you. Dorne has no king. Tell your brother that. Rainey's is like, oh, well, uh, okay. <laughs> it could just be see her totally being caught off guard. Yes. And she composes herself and says, well, we will come again, princess. Next time we shall come with fire and blood. But it's kind of Maria like. Maria responds, oh, your sorry. words. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, just it's kind of like, why next time? You're already there. Do it now. Uh, you got the dragons, Rainey's. Like, you, or dragon. You could do this right now. Yeah. Sorry. I, 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 don't, I don't know if she felt like she had to consult. Yeah, I don't know if she felt like she had to consult with Aegon before she did something. But <clears throat> um, your words, Maria says, when Rainey says, we'll come with fire and blood, Maria responds with, those are your words. Ours are unbowed, unbent, unbroken. You may burn us, my lady, but you will not bend us, break us, or make us bow. This is Dorn. You are not wanted here. Return. At your peril. No shit. <laughs> and Rainey's leaves. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, if that were well, Visenya, we'll be back. Like, like imagine Visenya had that. We'll mission. be back. Imagine Visenya Maria, had that. Maria mission. would have been roasted on the yeah. Thought. yeah on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So didn't go super well. Uh, you wonder if Rainey should have done more. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it was that 
okay, I'm going to kill you, Maria, and make an example of you. Or maybe if she should have just tried to practice some diplomacy and talk through things a little more, you know? At my job, one of my one of the main things that we do is we is I help develop the training materials for essentially a sales staff at work. And we're, you know, we've been working on this thing for negotiating rates and the art of negotiation and finding out what's important to the other person and why they're sticking so strong to their kind of core values and everything. And if maybe Rainey's would have tried to talk through things with Mariah and be like, why is it so important for you to have, have your independence? How can we come to some sort of agreement that allows you to feel that way? You know, we got Torin Stark up north. Things are going great for him. You know, we don't even bother him. He's practically independent. You know, could she have talked through some things? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think she was taken aback and didn't just just didn't know how to handle it. I agree. I think she's, she was they, just... they haven't encountered that kind of blatant yeah. disrespect yet. Yeah. It's what do you do? It's like they're not. She's not throwing, you know, you know, throwing up her arms and challenging me to fight. She's saying she won't fight. But also that I'll return at my parent. What? Not going to kneel. What? Huh? <laughs> You're not going to fight, but I can't return. Huh? Yeah, it's very confusing. The, the whole the whole nature of the way Dorne handles it by disappearing into the sands and everything is just meant to put you off balance. You know, mm-hmm. you're always swinging and like barely making contact and it's so weird. Yeah. You're so good at it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. They're the worst. So good. I know a lot of people <clears throat> at the Dornish. I'm not I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> They're just yeah, it's hard to like. And then on the other hand, you totally respect them too for what yeah. they've been able to pull off for all these years. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, so back back in, well, not Dorne. I was going to say the north, but we're not in the north, but we're north of Dorne. Uh, Aegon's at Old Town where he finally gets his official coronation. Um, Old Town at that time is the greatest city in all of Westeros. Aegon goes there. He's and he arrives to open gates. Manfred Hightower, House Hightower, runs Old Town. He's completely ready sub- to submit to Aegon as king. Uh, and the reason he has is the High Septon at Old Town had held a seven-day fast, and finally, after his seven-day fast, he'd felt that the crone illuminated him enough to uh, suggest that they submit. And I feel like that's something you didn't really need to pray over. Yeah. I don't feel like that. I don't feel like that decision required a seven day fast after everything that's happened. Uh, so that's why I'm chuckling a little bit at that. High towers, man. I, they, they, I'm telling you, I know I keep saying it. There's something there. These guys operate on a different level than everybody else. They didn't send anybody uh-huh. to the field of fire. Uh, they're, they're, they're taking care of their own thing. They're worried about, you know, the, the, the text says that they think the High Tower and the Citadel and Starry Sept would be cast down and destroyed. That's what they're worried about. There's something about that High Tower mm-hmm. that they're worried about protecting. I'm telling you guys, there's something there. There totally is. They had an interesting relationship with, with House Gardner. I think it's interesting that they didn't send any troops, like you said, to the Field of Fire. And apparently the Gardeners were like, okay. 
that's yeah. that's fine. We'll we'll go. <laughs> uh, they just got a pass for some reason. They but, always do. It's it's kind of like um, it's kind of like sometimes sometimes the best guy on the team can have like a shitty attitude, and the team captain. Yep. Just kind of like looks past it because he's the best guy on the team and he has to deal with it. He's like, all right, whatever. He like because we can't lose this guy. The guarders yeah. are like, I can't. I just gotta let the high towers do what they do because they basically have all the money. They're running the show behind the scenes, even though I'm in charge technically. If they ever decided to put up a fight, it would be disaster. I gotta just let them get away with their shit. Yep. And they do, and it's interesting, like you said. Um, so the High Septon there at Old Town officially anoints Aegon there at the Starry Sept as king. Uh, Aegon, House of House Targaryen, the first of his name, King of the Andals, the Roinar and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, and Protector of the Realm. There were hundreds of lords. Before, there were just hundreds of people, period. At this point, there are hundreds of lords on hand at this coronation. A bunch of maesters. Uh, and this is why it was considered kind of the first of his reign, or the considered the beginning of his reign, excuse me, like we talked about before with the whole AC and BC thing. Just yeah. call it before coronation and after coronation. All confusion is fixed. Uh, one confusing question, though, is where do they rule? I mean, Old Town's the best city, but the Targaryens originate from Dragonstone. No, Aegon says, we're not going to do either of those things. We're going to go back to the Aegon Fort. And guess what? I'm going to build my where I'm going to rule from right there. <laughs> We've got the the thanks, Iron Walter. Throne is being made there. I'm sorry? I said, thanks, Walder. That was a very Walder-like, hey. Uh, hey. 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 Uh, so he he takes his seat at at newly minted king's landing the quote the quote is holding court from a great metal seat made from the melted twisted beaten and broken blades of all his fallen foes a perilous seat that would soon be known throughout all the world as the iron throne of westeros um it's an interesting choice him choosing to kind of build his own capital i like it dragonstone was almost too removed you can't rule the seven kingdoms i feel like when you're on an island not attached to the seven kingdoms uh and i feel like old town is already way too entrenched in the kind of high tower and faith of the seven tradition it would almost feel like it's not his it's not Aegon's, right uh but King's Landing is new. It's untouched. There's no prior real history or even allegiance. And he can build from the ground up. And uh, I really like the idea of establishing that new capital yeah. in a new place. Symbolically, it's a fresh start, right? It's, yep. it's, a, it's a fresh start mm-hmm. in a new place. I'm not just conquering you and then going back to my old digs where I lived and ruling from there. I'm going to come over. I'm going to move in with you guys. We're going to make this all happen together. We're going to build this city in our own image the way we want to. It's, we're all in this together. Cue music. I'm bunking with you, buddy. That's right. Uh, is that Step Brothers? It is Matt Foley from Saturday Night Live. Oh, the old yes. Chris Farley character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Down, van down by the river. So I'm sick and tired of living in a van down by the river. Yeah. Uh... 
So yeah, I love it, and and you're totally right about he can't he can't go to an existing city because it would have all the political trappings that that city already had that he would have to contend with and deal with and fight for power and control and it'd be a disaster. Yep, totally with you. All right, moving on. I think we're done there. Fits and starts. Yeah, it's not all good in the hood. Uh, all right, instead they withdrew before King Aegon's host burning their crops in the field and poisoning every well. This is referring to Dornish, which we'll get to. Freaking Dornish. But basically, times are changing, right? People use those times of change sometimes to their own advantage to take, you know, take advantage of of uncertainty and, uh, and stuff. So, Aegon's rule was largely peaceful, especially the second half of his reign, but the early years were marred by what the maesters called the Dragon's Wars. Uh, the first of which was a small, pitiful little thing on the Three Sisters. The Three Sisters are uh, some islands uh, south of White Harbor, north of uh, north of Goldtown, basically north of the Vale. Um, they apparently thought that in all this confusion that it might grant them means of becoming an independent nation. A tiny little meaningless Idiot. independent nation. They, they crowned Lady Marla of House Sunderland to their queen, but all it took, honestly, was a little force for them to reconsider. The presence of Manderly's fleet and Visenya on Vagar was enough for them to turn on her and support her brother, who quickly bent the knee. They didn't even attack. They just, like, showed up. Nope. <laughs> like, uh, no, They don't have mind. to anymore. Never they mind. don't have to anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it cost them some kids becoming hostages, and Lady Marla got her tongue cut out, but come on. I mean, these people really must have had a collective... IQ of 100. I mean, this was never going to work. The only way this works is if Aegon looks as like, I don't care about those fucking islands. Let them leave. But Yeah, that that's the only explanation that I could come up with, too, is like them banking on Aegon not caring enough about them. Right. Yeah. Okay, and then, so, the other one, a little bit more substantial, the Ironborn get Ironborn, as they always do. Legitimate heirs are springing up all over the place, and even illegitimate ones are making the case for being king. So, Black Heron is dead. They need a new ruler, right? There's this dude named Lodos, yep. who claimed to be the living son of their deity, the Drowned God. They put a driftwood crown on his dome, and the masses followed him. Uh, Jesus! Yeah, kind of. Corn uh, Volmark uh, claimed to be the actual heir of the Black Line, but people don't really like him. Long story short, a bunch of people wanted to thrust themselves into that power vacuum, and they fought violently and dirty to try and earn that spot. Aegon, though, brought dragons and warships to end it for good, uh, slaying Volmark and prompting Lodos to walk into the sea with a thousand of his followers when Krakens did not answer his call to defend the Ironborn. He yeah. literally <laughs> called for sea monsters to come defend them, and when it didn't happen, he's like, hmm, maybe I better talk to my, talk to my dad in the ocean. And he drowned himself. <laughs> And he walks out into the sea. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Aegon still allowed these fools to pick their own leader, though. And they chose Vic and Greyjoy. Oh. Oh. Okay. Why? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess... It, because they did? Yeah. Well, and why did Aegon let them choose? I guess the same reason... We're all hesitant about the conditions of the wildlings being let through the wall, right? And mm-hmm. same kind of thing. Like, you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to change the conditions that they're living in so much 
that you then can't trust them, right? Yep. Um, so he's kind of letting them keep... Kind of the same thing. We good? Right? That's what I was going to say. I've got that in my notes. Yeah. So are we good here? Yeah. You guys pick a king? The thing is, is he can do that because he's got Valerion standing right behind him. So even though he's not saying it, the threat is always there. I'm going to let you guys pick a new king. Yeah. But pick well because look who's standing behind me. Who's crouching behind me with fire, with smoke coming out of his nostrils. Yep. Right? Yep. We can end this quickly. So pick, but pick well. And then it's like, okay, we good? All right, see you guys later. Yeah. So the first Dornish War begins. Uh, Princess uh, Daria uh, had kind of promised it, and here it is. Um, with the rest of the kingdom submitted, it was time for Aegon to try to bring Dorn back into the fold, but or to the fold for the first time. Uh, but remember mm-hmm. what she said, return at your peril, we will never bow, all that stuff. Well, yeah. Negotiating didn't do it. So in 4 AC, Rhaenys returned to Dorne with fire and blood, setting Planky Town alight. Meanwhile, Oris came down the Boneway with a thousand knights, and Aegon went through the Prince's Pass with 30,000 men. The Dornish are tricky, though, man. They're running and hiding, just like before, when oh anyone comes gosh. near. Instead, offering their These mother fields. efforts right here. Yeah. Ugh. Poisoning their wells, never giving them a target to hit. They're like, all right, you burned my castle. Well, it's just a castle. I don't care. Yep. I'll, I'll build, build a new it. castle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in this cave over here. I don't care. Um, <laughs> they're just, they're plucky, right? They're just, they're hardy and plucky and they don't, they don't care about the temporary hardship for the long-term gain. And it's inspiring in a way and also maddening. Like, the whole thing with the sheep carcasses. They put up a wall of sheep carcasses in front of them. They shear the sheep, kill them, slaughter the sheep, and just into a huge rotting wall. Yeah. Just to, like, show you like, yeah. that we don't care. Yeah. We can hold out. And, by the way, you can't eat these sheep, and you can't eat anything else here or drink anything. Yeah. So... It's it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh absolutely home court advantage using the land to your benefit, knowing where you live and and uh having that advantage and using it. Yeah, they're mas- they're masters at this. Um still, you know, Aegon has a plan of attack. His plan seems, I don't know, kind of reasonable. He sent Tyrell south to Hellholt while he himself would focus on the strong lords in the east uh of the Dornish Mountains. Um but, it, you know, for the reasons we kind of laid out, it doesn't really work out. The Dornish Heat had Tyrell lose a quarter of his force just on the way to Hellholt. Like, he didn't even yeah. get there before he lost a quarter of it. The ones that, that did make it are, you know, hungry and tired. Um, and when he got there, Hellholt was completely empty. It wasn't even, there's nobody to, like, that's so frustrating. Son of a... We lose yeah. a quarter of our people to get here and take over and do something and have an impact, and there's no one here. Mm-hmm. What... We won! We won, I guess. Yeah, they're so tired they don't even care at that point. Yeah. So, that's how the Dornish War started. Matt, you want to tell us how it finishes? You bet I do. I also think it's funny, though, that while Aegon sends the Tyrells down into the sands of Dorne and everything, he himself picks the path that has, like, actual water and game that they can hunt and everything. Yes. This is, you know... You guys go to. I'll take it here. I mean, I, 
it's going to be hard for me too. I got to take over all these different uh, houses, but you know, and it does guys, end up being hard on them, good. but not that hard. It does. Yep. Uh, okay, we got a quote. Yes. We got a quote. One Dornish knight brought before Queen Visenya as a captive insisted that Maria Martel would sooner see her people dead than slaves to House Targaryen. Visenya replied that she and her brother would be glad to oblige the princess. I love that quote. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so while all this is happening, Rainey's on her own takes Planky Town, Lemonwood, Spotswood, <clears throat> Stinkwater, uh, burning as she goes, never finding the actual enemy. All the lords, all the warriors are gone. At this point, Mariah Martell is also gone when she arrives at Sunspear. So because of all this, Aegon makes his way, let's see, what is it, east, and he conquering as he goes, having a fairly easy time of it. The Tyrells are established at Hellholt. Um, easy victory, right? Wasn't even a victory. They just arrived. So Aegon looks around, John Travolta style on, uh, what's it called? The movie that he's in, Quentin Tarantino movie, I forget, Pulp Fiction, looks around and is like, okay, I guess we win. <laughs> right yep we are the champions my friend um he's as far as as far as he's concerned dorn has been conquered he they name a castellan at sunspear john rossby uh name him warden of the sands installs other lords and other holdings of the captured castles and then Aegon's like in classic Aegon fashion okay are we good here and he leaves. Even as though no one answered. They leave, <laughs> right. That's the difference. This is the one time where no one said, yeah, we're good. <laughs> Within a fortnight, most of those ha houses had been recaptured. It said the Dornish warriors came out like desert roses after the rain and recapture almost every single house. Garrisons are slaughtered. These new lords are tortured vigorously and killed. Um, it said that John Rosby, who was given Sunspear, was killed by Mariah Martell herself. She, old, all 80 years old of her, pushed him out of a window. Um, even House Tyrell, who's down at House uh, Hellholt, his forces are whittled away. And this is an interesting story. They're kind of getting captured and anytime they send out a foraging party that foraging party is killed and everything so finally tyrell is like dude we got to take care of this we're setting out and we're gonna just smash these guys right um he's gonna go out by himself and he's gonna recapture a bunch of these castles that were just recaptured and avenge rosby and the other lord's death so he leaves with his whole army from hellholt and they start east into the sands of Dorne, and they are never seen again. Yeah. Not one of them. That's fascinating. Yeah, I just, I mean, that that's one of the stories, and the, the way the Dornish retake these things, like, it's not just they defeated the Tyrells. They fucking disappeared. They were never yeah, seen from. Gone. It becomes a legend and a story. And all, a lot of these things, throwing him from the window, you know, all, the way they retake a lot of these things, they're not just the, the sheep wall like you're talking about. They're not just effective ways. They're like memorable ways. 
Don't go to Dorne, man. Don't go to Dorne. You'll disappear in the sands. Right? Uh Like, they will cut you. Even if you win, they will cut you. Right? And and, uh, what happened to Oris Baratheon is a good example of that, to to further what you're saying, is leaving a lasting mark. So Orbi and his men in this whole conquest of Dorne had come kind of another way. They came down the Bone Way, and they had been captured. Uh, Actually, all of Orbi's men, save like a dozen, him included, had been wiped out, and Orbi had been taken captive. Eventually, he was ransomed back to Aegon along with the other survivors, but not before uh, Will the Will, or While. Do you say While or Will? I say Will, but who knows? W-Y-L removes the sword hand of every man before he ransoms them back, including Oris Baratheon. So Orbi loses a hand there. Um, I mentioned this at the top of the podcast, that it was ironic that he would lose that hand, and after he did, he kind of renounced his position as hand. Yes. He kind of gave it up, and there's some symbolism there. He says, I would not have people referring to the king's stump. Yeah. He lost his identity a little bit in the process. It definitely took him down a notch. <laughs> the king's stump. <sighs> Not the only thing stumpy on you, Aegon. Whoa. Whoa. And we're How do I know? Reached, How do I know? We've reached that point of the night. Anyways, it is late. Uh, these guys, but I'm having a blast. Me too. Regardless. Um, so this whole Dornish thing, they call it the, the first Dornish war because it just devolves into this Hatfield and McCoy's just retaliation after retaliation, retaliation, um, showing up at weddings and killing people, all this terrible stuff. Uh, yeah, they, that wedding old, one was bad. And, and it they ties, just show up at a wedding sorry, and kill everybody. And it ties back to the main series too, because that's an Oakheart wedding. Uh, Eris mm-hmm. Oakheart is, the Kingsguard knight who falls in love with Arianne and has that whole disaster down there and ends up, you know, running into an axe. Um, but like, yeah, I, I... that, that's, that is, they hint, they hint at it in a song of ice and fire, like how they're enemies. Right. But like, okay, what they did at that wedding, like getting let in through the side gate, they murder a bunch of the party and take, take a bunch of the women from the wedding and sell them into slavery, right? Yeah. Like they they gang rape the bride. Yeah. Th- this is yelled the husband. Eris has no business falling in love with anyone who's even ever visited Dorne. Like mm-hmm. he should not be there. He should not be talking. Like this is malfeasance that a family should never get over. Yeah. Especially, and then you add in the whole Kingsguard Knight thing, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, you know how I feel about that. Uh, so yeah, things just—it's just this back and forth thing for like seven years. It says the fighting degenerated into an endless, bloody series of atrocities, raids, and retaliation, broken up by long periods of inactivity. So it seems like things are calming down, and something crazy will happen. Um, so we get to what's called the tragedy at Hellholt. Uh, all three dragons return to Dorne. They're like, we just, this is ridiculous. So Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys start just burning everything. They are just going to town. While Rhaenys was castigating Hellholt, 
finally, what all these other lords may have thought they could do initially with killing a dragon, it happens. It says a yard-long bolt catches Meraxes in the right eye, and Meraxes goes down. Uh, Rainy's with the dragon. It's unknown. I mean, it's never confirmed that Rainy's died. Uh, they never like found her body as far as we know, but I mean, she fell with the dragon from the air. So she gone, right? Whether she died then or not, she's out of the story. She's out of the picture. Yep. Uh, Aegon, as you can imagine, is pissed. He always had that special affection for Rhaenys, it appeared. Uh, every It says every castle in Dorne was burned thrice over. They burn it, they burn it again. So much that some sands around these castles, especially Hellholt, became fused together from the heat like glass, right? That's awesome. Uh, lords are killed, escalated the killings on all sides. Um, it's actually after this that that whole Oakheart wedding thing happens. Um, Mariah Martell, in the quote that you shared at the, the top of this section, saying she'd sooner see her people dead than captive the Targaryens. Visenya, at this point, is is so upset at the death of her sister, she says she would happily oblige. Uh, but they never get a chance to kill Maria Martell. She dies her of natural causes, uh, apparently in bed with a horse. Yeah, I believe that. It's what it says. It's what it says, so it has to be true. I'm like, what a her weird son... rumor. <laughs> just, I mean, whatever at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in, and and Dorne is just getting destroyed, as we've said. It's just burn, 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 burn. So the yellow toad dies, and her son, Nymor, takes over. He wants to sue for peace. And so he sends to King's Landing um, by his daughter, Daria. He sends back Meraxes' skull as well as a peace offering. Now, the peace offering we need to to make clear, though, is that they would make peace as equals. Yeah. He's not submitting. Yeah. Just let's stop the fighting. You do your thing. I'll do our, our thing here in Dorne. Well, okay. Visenya says no. She kind of leads this party of no peace without submission. No. They either submit to us or we kill them. Aegon agrees with her. He, at the same time, he's tired of war. Um, people are saying, you know, kill Daria. He's not going to do that. But he can't let Rhaenys go unavenged. Um, and it's this whole kind of like, what do we do now? It's looking like, though, he is going to send Prince Nymor back, response back of, no, we're not going to do this, um, and uh, reject the peace offering, right? Just as he's, it's looking like this is going to happen, though, um, Daria gives him a letter from her father, from Prince Nymor. This is maybe the most fascinating thing of the whole chapter to me, Scott. Yeah, for sure. Of the whole the whole episode. I'm going to read the paragraph. Do it. Uh, King, King Aegon read Prince Nymor's words in open court, stone-faced and silent, while seated on the Iron Throne. When he rose afterward, men said his hand was dripping blood. He burned the letter and never spoke of it again. But that night he mounted Balerion and flew off across the waters of Blackwater Bay to Dragonstone, upon its smoking mountain. 
When he returned the next morning, Aegon Targaryen agreed to the terms proposed by Nymor. Soon thereafter, he signed a treaty of eternal peace with Dorne. What? Well. What? What? Uh, Shall we put on our tinfoil caps, my friend? What is going on here? Yeah, I mean they put they put a few a few suggestions in there of what he might read. It's always interesting when the author who knows the reason puts suggestions in for what it might be because you're like, okay, well, why yeah. don't you just tell yeah. me the one it is? If like you know, you're giving me three options and maybe none of them are real. What is this? Yeah, uh, they were. Um, some say that it was a simple plea from Nymor, and his heartfelt words touched King Aegon's heart. Uh, yeah. Was... The last one was the most interesting one. That he threatened, that he said, we don't have the resources, nor the men to keep doing this war, but we've got enough money to hire some faceless men to kill your faceless children. Men. Yeah, to kill you and your kids, right. Like, And that's that's interesting, and it's just the way the Dornish would fight and make sense you know, again, like I said, you always wonder whether George put the real one in there, but it could be something similar to something like that. Like, we've we've got our ways, and we're going to just kill you directly. Uh huh. And so I, I imagine it was something like that. But hmm. what what do you think? You got something better? I got something way I got something way tinfoily, man. All right, let's hear it. There's nothing to back it up except for maybe a possible. Uh, interesting turn down the line in the Song of Ice and Fire proper. Ooh. Okay. What if Rhaenys Targaryen somehow survived her fall and was taken captive by Dorne by House Oler at Hellholt? Now, the Olers are known as these... Uh, they're they're kind of crazies, man. They're yep. like a whole house of Ramsey Boltons. Um, I found a quote, and I think it's a feast for crows. It says half of the Olers are half mad, and the other half are worse. Um, so my tinfoil is that Rainey survives, taken captive by the Olers, and is tortured for information, and is per and perhaps gives up this information. And they they would have to be pretty intense information. I'm for Aegon to react the way he did in this letter. I'm thinking it's it's some sort of secrets about House Targaryen and Dragonstone in particular that mm. could destroy House Targaryen. I can't even say what it would be. I don't know, something with dragon eggs or, or, or a dragon horn or something. I don't I don't even know, but some sort of secret that could absolutely destroy destroy Dragonstone so that when Aegon reads this, he's like, holy crap, how could they know this? Like. Oh my gosh. And he had to then fly back to Dragonstone to kind of verify that it, it was true or something like that. Be like, okay, do we, is everything here? Like, have they come here? Have what's going on? I just need to make sure everything's okay right now. Okay. Everything's okay right now. Okay. Then the only thing that I can do is agree to this treaty because if word of this gets out, you know, we're, we are screwed. That's the something like that. Some sort of ancient secret that Rhaenys spilled 
while being tortured. That's very tinfoil. Right? Uh, uh, I right? like it. I'm willing to go halfway. I, I think I think the Rayanus being captured uh, and alive and tortured makes sense, and that maybe something in the letter was something that only she would have known. Uh huh. That they put in the letter as proof that they have her and that they are currently torturing her. And that yep. in the letter was just more pulling on the heartstrings. If you don't give us this piece, we're going to torture her more and more and more. And she will be in pain for decades. And, and I thought of that too, of like, or we'll give her a quick and painless death. If you will right. agree to this piece, either way, she's going to die. Right. But you can choose how, right. And that's, that's why it less, was so, that's, so that's like less tinfoily, you know, as of like destruction of the house and something epic and more just like, you know, fighting dirty again, but mm -hmm. man, but, and this is, cool. this is just me trying to shoehorn in something into the main series that I think would make it really interesting. So I'm getting extra yeah, yeah. tinfoil in order yeah. to satisfy my needs, because if this is true and if Dorne knows some sort of secret about Dragonstone and House Targaryen that they've been sitting on mm -hmm. for all this time, imagine the part that Dorne Martell and Arianne Martell could play going forward in the Arianne, last two books. Arianne meets Aegon VI. What will she be able to tell him? Right. Something, Couldn't that be really cool? Something secret about raising stone dragons on Dragonstone? Something Couldn't that be awesome? About, yeah. Could so you can awesome. see how I'm I'm trying to be like, that would be so cool, so I'm trying to make it work in my mind. Yeah. Which is not the way that you're supposed to theory craft. No. But uh, this is way too loose of an end, I think, to never have a reveal. I think it, there's got to be some sort of implication. This is This letter thing is just too big for George to just be like, yeah, that's it. But Yeah, you're right. And even the, t even the tinfoil theory of they have her and they're torturing her isn't really big enough to have, to have left it dangling. He would have just mm -hmm. told, he would have just told us that's what it was. Right. Yep. True. Why, why, if that's what it is, why keep that a secret? Mm -hmm. If it is something, there's gotta be something. Yeah. Yeah. If it's something that teases out in the main series, then it makes sense to keep it a secret. You're right. It's interesting because looking back over the, the whole expanse of this book that we're sort of covering, I mean, we are just in our own unique way. I can't think of another loose end that's just been left like this other than maybe Damon Targaryen's death over the God's eye. I don't know. But... Uh, I feel like there are a few that we had to leave shrugging our shoulders during the dance mm -hmm. or... There was this that whole well. There was that whole disease that uh, what's her name came back with on her dragon. She was like boil, like she had boiled. Oh over yeah. Skin. There's that mystery. Oh, that part was so gross. That was that was how Balerion yeah. died, right? Yeah. Um, well, he was just old. Well, yeah, but that's isn't didn't he take her and come back? And that's when he died. Isn't or was that a different dragon? I might be mixing up my dragons. Maybe. Anyway. Maybe you're absolutely right. We'll move on. Um, anyways, that's it, though, as far as the Dragon Wars. At uh, that, it kind of reminds me a bit of a Vietnam War-type scenario. Um, but there's peace in the realm now with the signing of this treaty of eternal peace with Dorne. Um, 
Aegon has to settle for not conquering all of the Seven Kingdoms, but most of them, and embarks on what's hopefully a, a period of peace. And that's it for this section. Yeah, man, he just cut the bait loose. He just, like, let it go. Mm-hmm. I got other things to do. I got six other kingdoms to worry about here that do want me around. Let's let's focus on them. Uh, the dragons spread their wings. The Iron Throne was forged with fire and steel and terror, it is said, but once the throne had cooled, it became the seat of justice for all Westeros. Yeah, it did. So, mm-hmm. um, it all starts with inclusion for Aegon. Kind of like, kind of like your whole theme of we good here. Aegon knew he had a fragmented realm, and while he conquered and united it via power, they now had to coexist without him, you know, showing that power all over the place. So he bought, brought the people from all the Seven Kingdoms to assist in his rule, excluding Dorne, of course. He had lords, send younger sons and daughters to court, to serve as cupbearers and pages and such, to get them ingrained in the happenings of the realm, and it started to work a little bit. The subjects started to think of themselves as people of Westeros, not just people of their own region of Westeros. They brokered marriages between different kingdoms to tie them together more closely, frequently across great distances. They even tried to settle the Blackwood Bracken thing. They had Manderleys marry people in the south, and uh, the even Stark Tarth had three daughters that they married different places. <laughs> I mean, they're just getting everyone to hook up and put make connections through marriage, which history shows that works to some degree, right? Give people yeah. skin in each other's game and, and get them invested in each other's stories. And, you know, they, they tend to come together a little bit. Um, the Blackwood Bracken wedding arrangements were huge, right? That's crazy. Yeah, that's it's crazy. And it also is, is the one that for sure didn't work. Most of them it most definitely of them, didn't work. Most of them work. The Blackwood Bracken one didn't work. Uh, definitely didn't just work. Just too much conflict and frankly too much proximity to, uh, you know, to allow that to work. Um, you tried, sweethearts. You tried. But but it is interesting. I wanted to because we we talked a lot about Danny and John uh, in their somewhat parallel paths of trying to change the cultures of the places they're in. With Danny at Marine and John at the Night's Watch, both of them trying to you know John is trying to get them to accept wildlings as equals and yep. to in some in some degrees you know Stannis is there too and they're trying to bring a new religion in and you know all these things. But they're John is. Definitely trying to change the culture of the Night's Watch uh, and, and their mm-hmm. values. Danny is trying to get rid of slavery and uh, change their entire culture as well. And here you see, uh, you know, kind of the right way to do it, but it takes time. It takes lots of time, right, to, to do these things. And that's, you know, that's what they have going for them here. Yep. Um so they governed together, uh, the three heads of the dragon. Aegon was the final authority, but Visenya and Rhaenys were basically his partners in everything. He took one of them with him wherever he went and left the other one to rule, So, and he spent about half of his time on never-ending tours of Westeros. So half the time, Westeros was in fact ruled in the day-to-day by his sisters, right? One of them. Yep. Uh, the royal progresses took him everywhere. He visited the north six times. He did visit Little Sisterton. He visited the Arbor, <laughs> the Iron Islands thrice. No place was too big or small for Aegon to show up and hold court. Um, Which is cool. It's very cool. It's very cool. I did want to bring up, like, this talks a lot about Visenya and Rhaenys and being a part of it and everything. 
but we do need to keep in mind that Rain has died in 10 AC. Mm-hmm. So, and most of that was wartime. So, she was involved, for sure, when she was alive, but for most of his rule, she wasn't there. Right, so Visenya was... A lot of this text, old, you got to take it with a bit down. Yeah. yeah, you got to take some of it with a grain of salt, right? That mm-hmm. Rainus was not really ruling for most of the time. She was, I'm sure, greatly involved when she was ruling. Um, yeah, that's where kind of the it was. It was kind of a weird organization of these yes. chapters two and three of the book, Very right? Much, yeah. Where the first ones are about war, the second are about peace, but they cross over chronologically. Yeah, and I don't know if it would have been better to just go straight chronology they do that later with the with the jaharis and alisan chapters as well they do you're right yeah so at least he's consistent with it <laughs> yeah it is a little it is a little bit uh unwieldy though yeah to cover yeah it's like wait didn't she die yeah exactly um i, I did want to note also uh a quarter of his time he spent on dragonstone uh he said he liked it uh the salt yeah. air always smelled of smoke and brimstone. Just kind of more little, uh, you know, little, little teasers back to the main series. About, salt, uh, yeah. Azor High and Prince of His Promise and all that stuff. It was his little Mar-a-Lago. No, that's too much, Scott. I'm sorry. <sighs> Aegon doesn't deserve that. Aegon doesn't deserve wow. that. I'm sorry I even said it. I don't know what happened. I don't think Mar-a-Lago smells like, I think it smells of other things. Um, okay. Yep, we just got political. Deal with it. Oh, I'm, I'm beyond... That's my I'm, bad, guys. I'm beyond pretending not to care politically anymore. Right. This guy's killing me. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, how did they govern this peaceful realm? The, the, the main theory is this. It's better for stall rebellions than to put them down. The main reason for the progress is, is that by showing up on Beleriand, it reminded people what they should be afraid of, for one. Remember uh, what this guy did? Yeah. Is it Heron Hall? Remember this guy yeah. over here, right behind me? Let's have, a, let's have a good time, though. Big Black let's Dread? Let's have a good time. Yep. He's not called the Black Fun. He's called the Black Dread. <laughs> uh, it reminded people what they should be afraid of, and also it let the small folk have kind of a touchstone for their ruler, right? It's good to just get out yeah, there and be more absolutely. than just a story and a, you know, a name. Yep. But... But also, not just the intimidation component, but they also let him learn about his people and the territories that he had to govern. What was important to them, how they governed, what local rules and laws they had. He held court everywhere he went, but he also did his best to maintain their local laws when he was holding court. He didn't try to disrupt them and be like, nah, nah, we're not doing that anymore. There were exceptions, I'm sure. Um, again, with the parallels with Danny and John, right, of trying to let them keep everything that they can keep rather than just inflicting all this change on them. But the biggest change was perhaps in teaching all these people they can't just go to war whenever they want. This Westeros was a place where there was just war like every day somewhere, right? Every, somewhere in the continent somebody was at war. They had to take up their grievances, up the chain of the command to their liege lord. If the arguments were among greater houses, they had to take them to the crown. And if you took it upon yourself to go to war against somebody that you thought was your enemy, you were an enemy of the Iron Throne. You weren't allowed to just do that. You had to have a justified reason by the crown to to take action like that. Makes sense. Yeah. And it reminded me, Matt, of Coldmoat and Eustace. um, Mm -hmm. And just reminding me how much... I hate it is the wrong word, but just like... 
disrespect, how much disrespect I have for Eustace because he knew he was wrong. What he was what? doing yeah. Yeah. was completely outside of the expected chain of command and not the way he was supposed to handle this. Mm-hmm. Right? Completely wrong. He was an enemy of the crown for doing what he did, and he brought our fearless hero Dunk into it. Uh, okay. Uh, he standardized taxes to help the small folk and keep things consistent so that they knew at least what the score was and what they had to pay. And he kept the faith happy. He was not, we've kind of hard to talk about this, he wasn't extremely devout himself, but he kept them happy. He treated them well. He didn't tax their property and, and gave them rights and, and things that you know, kept them kept them happy and on his side. Which is a brilliant public relations move because the small folk, they all worship the seven. You've got the traveling uh, septons and everything. And they're going to be preaching about the Targaryen goodness because yep. they're being treated well by the crown. So it, 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 you know, even though he's not a religious dude in that regard, he understands that he needs to have that religious component. It's kind of like being a politician here in Utah, right? Indeed. We all live downstream as well, right? Like anything he puts in the water is getting distributed out through everybody and, um, you know, it's good. It's good. It's all going to, it's all going to come back to him in the end. Um, King's Landing is out of fucking control on growth. (laughs) It's not, growth isn't even the right word. Like, it's more like the Aegon Fort exploded. It's a blow up, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. all these people coming from around the kingdom, the trade coming through, the city had no choice but to grow, really, and it grew fast and unplanned at first. Um, The city that sprung up around it was established in 10 AC and became known as King's Landing then, and by 25 AC, so just 15 years well, 25 years after, after the uh, after the coronation, Matt, it was the third biggest city in Westeros, behind only Lannisport and Old Town. So in 25 years, it became the third largest city in the in the whole continent. Yep. Eventually, though, Aegon decided he needed to engage and control some things. Uh, first, it was a pirate fleet raiding Tall Trees Town and carrying off a bunch of citizens. It was the final straw, and he decided they needed to better protect the city. So he got some walls made. Uh, good idea yeah he decreed that a ring of walls should be created to encircle king's landing that would have seven gates for the seven gods appeasing those religious types again and it was overseen by grand maester gawain and the hand of the king sir osmond strong the walls finished in 26 ac uh and then this is this is where sometimes i think george just is like oh yeah i haven't talked about hands of the king at all so he he takes a step sideways and just goes into the hands of the king real quick. He's like, oh, yeah, hand of the king Osmond Strong was in charge. Let me tell you about the other hands we had. Uh, Oris Baratheon was oh, first. Oh, yeah, I forgot about those forgot guys. forgot about those guys. Let's, let's squeeze them in right here. Uh, Oris Baratheon was first. We've talked about him quite a bit already. He resigned after being ransomed back handless. Uh, Edmund Tully, uh, who yeah. was, yep, made the Param- Lord Paramount to the Trident followed him but he only served two years he went home after his wife died to take care of his kids which uh i imagine that's why matt loves him so much he's a good family man yeah i, I just like him he's noble <laughs> he's noble the third hand was alton seltigar uh he served ably until 17 ac until he died of natural causes uh and then of course uh osmond strong took over uh Aegon didn't rely only on his hands, though. He also relied on maesters a lot. Even before he conquered, he had maesters on Dragonstone. Um, when he became king, he kept as many as six around him 
as all at all times just to be like advisors. He valued their wisdom and their learning and you know the knowledge they had, and so he just kept them around. Um, th- that more than maybe anything else, Matt is what let, makes me like Aegon. Yeah, he's not. It appears that he's not very pretentious. Yeah. Which, again, makes his decision to take over Westeros all the more puzzling. Yes. Um, he's he's very humble in the sense of who he surrounds him with and how he the, – the freedom that he gives them and the, the respect and the deference that he demonstrates towards them. It's very fascinating. Like he knew what he didn't know. And he took steps to help with that. And surrounding yourself with six maesters goes a long way. So. Yeah, I did think it was a little weird they had maesters on Dragonstone before the conquest. Because it yeah. felt like maesters are only part of noble families in Westeros. And the Dragonstone was somehow not really attached to that. But I don't mm-hmm. know. He, what, like, like, how do you get a maester? Do you have to like fill out an application and be like, can you send me one? I wondered that too. Because the conclave, uh, you know... It's a citadel. It's a pretty nice place, right? So there's got to be some upkeep there. I wonder, do lords have to pay like a monthly or an annual fee to the citadel? Oh man! In order to keep a maester there, or or is it much more nefarious than that? And the maesters have their own agenda, and they want their people spread throughout the land so they, they can their... learn and influence. Oh, yeah. And yeah. control the messaging. and Right. I totally think that. But maybe they're collecting money too. Yeah, I, I, I just think that the, the business side of the Citadel and everything is how do they keep money flowing into the Citadel for the training of all these maesters and stuff? The high towers are the richest family in, in Westeros. Yeah, they've got and some they rich donors. Have, I know I'm back <clears> on my high tower thing again, but they have some sort of agenda. Yeah. They are their best donors. But I think to, to have a maester, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of... You don't just get a maester. Like, you gotta, you gotta pony up if you want one. Maybe. I don't know. But I don't, I, don't think, I don't think they ever tell you anywhere. They don't. They don't. I'm just guessing. Yeah. As I, I just watched that. I breezed through that Amazon series, The Boys, that I told you about last episode. Yeah, I still haven't got to it yet. And there's stuff on there where they like <clears throat> a town will contract with this superhero organization to have a superhero in their town, you know? So I yes. think that's why my mind was kind of on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I started watching Black Mirror. Oh, man. Oh, I started that. It's intense. I and like I don't it. remember why I stopped because it was great. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, let's not move forward. Uh, so yeah, uh, I like I like it that he's taking their advice, that he's interested in getting the opinions of others. Uh, it's a big man that can do that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, any, you got anything else for this section? I don't think so. All right. The dragon must have three heads. Yeah. Aegon was the lord of the seven kingdoms. Therefore, he should have seven champions. Queen Visenya decided. Yeah, let's talk about who he surrounds himself with. We, this is a nice, just flows from one section to the other. Um, 
the the small council as we know it, especially in A Song of Ice and Fire, isn't formalized until the reign of King Jaehaerys. But Aegon definitely surrounded himself with a support network. We've talked about maesters, and eventually he asks the citadel or the conclave to send one specific maester to consult with regarding the governance of the realm in general. So they send a maester called Olidar. They go through another guy named Leonce, and then Grand Maester Gawain is kind of the the more famous one. Uh, but they end up calling that that maester becomes the Grand Maester, who's the maester that is beside the king and helping to consult with him, or who the king can consult. <clears throat> Uh, King Aegon also has masters of coin that he can refer to and with financial things. He's always, it said, communicating with the High Septon. He had a great relationship with him and the faith. Uh, but perhaps is, and we've talked about his hands as well, starting with Oris and on down to Osmond Strong. But of course, as we've really driven home this whole episode, his two biggest, uh, resources or, or people that he relied on really co-rulers with him were Rannies and Visenya. Uh, and they both really contributed to Aegon's reign in different ways, but equally important in my eyes. So we talked about how Rannies was really a patron of the arts and she always surrounded herself with bards and singers and her love for them created almost this sense of competition where the, um, the singers, in order to to earn Rhaenys's praise, they would try their hardest to to one up the other singers and bards in creating the best song that would capture her attention. Um, and so, what ended up is you'd have all these different singers and bards coming out with these flattering odes to the Targaryens, these different songs that were trying to earn Rhaenys's praise, and they would then go out with these songs after they'd written them and perform them around the kingdom. And these efforts really helped heroize King Aegon, right? Yeah. Uh, and House Targaryen in general, and it was great PR for them. So. She was she was almost in a way Aegon's publicity gal, uh, even if she wasn't really trying. She just liked art, right? She just loved these things. I don't know that it was a concentrated effort for her to try to get these singers to write all these songs and then go sing them out throughout the realm. But it ended up really um, cementing Aegon's image in the mind of especially the small folk as he's this great guy because listen to the songs about him, right? Kind of cool. Music's yeah. powerful, Scab. It's definitely a mark she had. She also helped with the wedding organization stuff, and uh, yeah, she she seemed uh, you know taken before her time. She seemed like she was really valuable to him. For real, yeah. for real. Uh, Visenya, on her, and she's still that. She was stern. She was unforgiving. Her beauty had an edge to it, it said. Uh, her support of Aegon was more practical uh, in terms of actually wanting to physically protect Aegon day to day. There, uh, She herself twice saved Aegon's life from would-be assassins. Her wielding dark sister saved him. Um, but she, and she was suspicious. She was ferocious. She tr says she trusted no one but Aegon, 
which that one little particle of a sentence there may give us some insight into her and Rainey's relationship when she says she trusted no one but Aegon. Yep. She took to wearing mail all the time just in case, right? Um, there was one instance where she's like, dude, you need better protection, probably after one of these times where she had to like defend him from would-be assassins. Um, she's like, you need more. And he's like, no, I'm fine. Like my guards are cool. And she, he says that, and she whips out dark sister and slices him on the face yeah. doing all of this before anyone can react. Yeah. So bad. Eh? So bad. Eh? I feel like Visenya, I mean, she is, she's the older sibling, right? She is yep. the person that Aegon can always go to and get the unadulterated truth. There's mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's really easy to become a yes man around a king, but she's like, fuck that. I'll tell you exactly how everything is. It's and, the way Stannis is with Davos, right? Yes. To a degree. The way Davos is with Stannis, yeah. Yeah. And she's just all business. She's I think she's the most logical of the three of them. She's, yep. um, you know, she, she's just very direct and confrontational about things and facts and invaluable to him yeah absolutely (laughs) and the the big sister component like you said comes into it uh she she says you require better protection because she says and this is so big sister i cannot always be with you yeah yep i love that um so she's like i'm gonna do this thing and you're just gonna go with it because I'm your big sister and this is what's going to happen. So she creates this order of knights whose sole purpose is to protect the king and they need to be the best knights. Um, She insisted on choosing each knight herself by hand. She is picking each one. She decides that there will be seven of them because there are seven kingdoms. I feel like that's something that just they figured out the three of them figured out early on. It's like, okay, guys, just one thing to remember as we're doing this whole governing the realm thing, just always remember these people really like the number seven. So anytime you can bring seven in, let's do something with seven. Yeah. Like we we put the gates around, uh, put seven gates around the city walls because you know, seven gods or whatever. (laughs) So this one, she's like seven. Okay. Let's do seven nights. Um, these knights, she actually modeled their vows after the vows of the Night's Watch, which is kind of cool, especially with the dichotomy of the white and black and and everything. Uh, but these Kingsguard knights would surrender all their lands and titles. They'd live a life of chastity and obedience. Of course, that obedience, that blind obedience causes problems later. Um, they would receive no reward nor pay but honor. Um, like I said, Visenya <sighs> chooses these knights. Oh, sigh, all you want, scab. No, but it was a good idea at the time. It's it's a good idea, but it's it, you make these rules and these laws, assuming that the kings will all be good like Aegon, and they aren't. And so, yep. yeah, blind obedience sounds good when Aegon's the one that they're being obedient to. But... Who's not going to lead them astray? <clears throat> yeah, you can't. And you can't discount the human factor in all of these as far as the king goes and as far as the seven Kingsguard members go. Um, But it's a good idea in theory. And she chooses – the author says they're all quick, strong, observant, skilled with the sword, and devoted to the king. Uh, There's no Boris Blunts in this group, I guess. 
There's no Boris Blunts, and that's what's interesting. You've got Richard Root, Addison Hill, Gregor Good, Griffith Good, his brother, Humphrey the Mummer, Robin Darklin, and Corliss Valerion, who is the Lord Commander. No, not snake? that Corliss, unfortunately. Not that one, unfortunately. He's really old. Would that he was. Would that he <laughs> was. Um, but I kind of like that these guys, you know, really the only names that really stand out to me, especially Valerion and Darklin to a degree. Yeah. But the 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 fact that these guys' names aren't legendary, that they aren't and that they aren't these figures that are still talked about throughout history, like say Aim on the Dragon Knight or something, it shows how how early Kingsguard was not political like it ended up being in yeah. later years. It was focused simply on that end goal of protecting the king. Ah, times were good back then, right? Before you were giving Kingsguard spots just for political gain and to establish cronies who you could rely on and yeah. stuff like that. It's interesting but, because one of the, I can't remember the exact wording that she uses or, or that the author uses, or whether it's something she said, but uh, above all loyal or something like that. Uh, yeah, as, devoted to the king. Yeah, right. It feels like in future years, it becomes more about that than the other things. Yep. Like devoted and politically bound to, and mm-hmm. right, like like doesn't Robert? He has most of the people from the Stormlands, and like, yep. It's just you, you kind of keep you know the people you know. Anyway. Yep. Yep. Uh, two of them eventually died. They gave their lives protecting the king. Um. And I don't remember how I came across this, but a little fun fact as we're talking about Kingsguard. Orbi's son, Oris Baratheon's son, eventually became a Kingsguard member, and uh, he died protecting King Aeonese during oh. a Faith Militant uprising. Yeah. I don't remember that. Hmm. I didn't remember it. I came across it as I was just studying up, and it just, I, but I don't remember how it came up. Hmm. Interesting. It's kind of cool. Uh, and I think that's about it, my friend. Yeah, finally I know who to blame for the stupid Kingsguard rules. Visenya, you're on my list. It's Visenya, man. <laughs> uh, but in her defense, and maybe canceling that out, she did have a jester around that she called Lord Monkeyface. So, who she replaced later on with an actual ape. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only George. <laughs> So, I mean, she did have kind of a uh, twisted, dark humor yes. to her. Yep. <clears throat> also, not really safe to have an ape running anyway. Uh, Doesn't feel like that's no. who you want running around. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's do it. So, we have this is this is the main part we have about Aegon and his sisters. We get a little bit more in Sons of the Dragon, which uh, actually we already covered, uh, so we'll be skipping over that in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is pretty much all we get. So, just some general time, real quick, to reflect on Aegon and his sisters, and this time in Westeros. You have any any parting thoughts? Well, the question is: is should he have conquered Westeros? Would Westeros have been better off had he not conquered, or did he make things better? And I kind of feel like he did. Yeah. And I didn't feel that way at the beginning. When I first set out to do this, I was like, who the freak is Aegon 
to go in and take over this kingdom that he doesn't belong to. And I was looking at it from the other perspective of like, you know who the real heroes of this are? Argalak the Arrogant. That guy's a hero of this story. Um, the guy that tried, that stood up and gave his life in the end to try to preserve Westeros from being taken over by this tyrant. And certainly Aegon's descendants weren't anything to to kneel down and, and bow at the feet of. But uh, I don't know. I think Aegon did a good job once he established himself. You know, a lot of a lot of kind of societal judgment comes from intention. Um, not which we don't know. <laughs> not right, exactly. Um, you, it's it's a dangerous thing actually to judge on intention because, um, you know, intentions can can be good and the way you go about them can be bad and cause no one yeah. suffering. It well, can it's be like we da- talked about before. To your point that. Uh, no bad, no villain thinks they're the villain. Yeah. Right. Right. And in this case, we don't know. I, st- I'm still not really convinced of what his intention was. What, like, right. what was yep. he trying to do? What, I mean, it, it seems, it seems like he knows because he takes pretty deliberate steps in making it happen and yep. doesn't seem to, once he gets it, doesn't seem to struggle with the things that he believes would be good policies, you know, letting people keep their laws and, showing up and being on progresses and you know all these things and the taxing system like he seems to have a plan so it's not like he hasn't thought of what to do and and how to do it and why so i think he knows what his intention was we just don't um we come out at the end of this episode having had a great time and not knowing Aegon any better for it (laughs) kind of i mean i i I like him i like Uh that he leans on people for advice i like the fact that he was willing to forgive, you know, his enemies and let them, you know, move forward without destroying them utterly. Um, I even like, to some degree, the way he was able to walk away from Dorne when it when it looked like it was just too much. I, I, I respect him, and I think I like him. I still don't know that he's noble. I still don't know why mm-hmm. he's doing this. And so yep. it's troubling to try to judge him without knowing that. Um mm-hmm. And yet, you know, do we do we ever really know that about people? I don't know. Yep, good point. No man knows my history. Who was who said that? Just, oh, that was Joseph just, Smith. Just Sorry, my, guys. Just my browser yeah. history. Yep. <laughs> uh, Not even that if you're careful. <laughs> uh, there's always ways, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I yeah, I, I I get I get the sense kind of alluding to what you said before when you were talking about the letter, I get the sense that George is being somewhat purposefully Coy, yeah. purposefully vague about a lot of this mm-hmm. stuff. And whether that's meant to to become clearer when a song of ice and fire finishes, um I guess, I guess we'll see. But it feels intentionally vague. Right. Which it just came to me could be um, could be in the be. What's the word? It makes sense that there wouldn't be that many 
documentarians around like writing about Aegon as there are later Targaryen kings. And so it's kind of harder to know his personality because people just weren't writing as much about him back then. Maybe he had six so makers around him all the time. Somebody could have been writing it. I don't know. I, I mean, okay. I get what you're saying. Okay. But... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, there wasn't that focus maybe on being like recording the history of the king back then because they were so busy just trying to build up the kingdom at that point. Yeah. Um, the, the last thing on their mind was writing Aegon's biography. But yeah, I agree with you though about George and keeping it intentionally vague and why. So. All right. Uh, is this is this a good time to talk about the whimsical poll you put out? <laughs> it was totally done on a whim, uh, but I put out a poll on Twitter that just simply said, "Who would you do?" And the three choices were Aegon, Visenya, and Rhaenys. And uh, I don't have the percentages right in front of me, but Rhaenys won. Yeah, and Visenya, which I agree with. Visenya came I think in second, she... I think. Right. I think it, yeah, I think it was like Rainey's took fifty percent of the votes, and then it was Visenya with yeah with a good percentage. And I think Aegon only had like eleven percent. How lazy are we? We're reporting on the results of our poll, and we don't even have them. And we don't have them in front of us. It's classic Davos fingers. <laughs> really but, is. But as is usually the case, the fun of it was the conversation that it spurred. Uh, just <laughs> just like just like uh, Song, Song of Madness. Of Right. The polls aren't what's important. It's the conversations that really matter. <laughs> it's the fun we have along the way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, th- I think a lot of the responses we got was, why can't I pick all three? I can't yeah, argue with that. that. I, I, I wanted to pick Visenya. I didn't. I picked Rhaenys, but I just feel like... Oh, I understood that you did pick Visenya, but you did pick Rhaenys? I like here's here's what here's the way I said it. This, I like Visenya more. I want to pick her more. Oh, okay. I misunderstood your. I feel like she's more all in on the whole vision and like the whole package and the Targaryen deal and like being supportive and being a team player. I feel like she's more that way, and that's something that I like. Uh, the dangerous thing you guys were alluding to doesn't really. Uh, I don't. Uh, that doesn't really do a whole lot for me, but uh, but. The deal breaker is what she does later in life <laughs> with Megor and like problematic how, how crazy she gets later about it. And so, so I pick Rainus because as all in as she is, she goes nutso in the end and it's a deal breaker. Right. But, uh, our friend, um, oh gosh, what is his name? At, at Don Ket's superhero says, um, Aegon better win this. I'd let him protect my realm any day. <laughs> yeah. I don't, there's a metaphor in and there I, somewhere. And I came back and said, you'd let him plant his standard upon your hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, classy, yeah, you know, classy, classic, classic. Classic. Yep. yep. All right. Well, shall we sign off? Let us sign off, my friends. Uh, this lyric came to me as I was talking, but this is this is really the Targaryens are on top finally, and and 
they're going to stay on top for a while, but it never seems as good as, as right now for Aegon and Vis- Yeah, his one wife died, but he's doing it. This is a good time for the Targaryens, right? They start off high. Um, so this line by the wallflowers, I feel fine with the sun in my eyes, the wind in my hair from falling out of this sky. I'm doing better than I thought I would, but nothing's ever as good as when you're on top. Good night, guys. I think being on bottom's not so bad, but um, less work. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna go with uh, something that your quote kind of made me think about. I don't, I don't think it's related in any way. Uh, just the wording you used. Uh, I'm not sure whether Aegon was Mister Right for Westeros. But he is Mr. Right now for Westeros. Beautiful. And in the end, that's all that matters. Who knows what his motivations were and whether it was right or wrong. Mm. It was. Mm. Mm. Oh, you you know what sign off I almost went with, dude? I don't. Our shared love for Blues Traveler. Ooh. Which is great that we both love Blues Traveler. From the song off of Straight On Till Morning called The Gunfighter. And if it's the fool who likes to rush in, and if it's the angel who never does try, and if it's me who will lose or win, well then I'll make my best guess and I won't care why. So come on and get me, you twist of fate. I'm standing right here, Mr. Destiny. If you want to talk, well then I'll relate. If you don't, so what? Because you don't scare me. Yeah. It's a good one. I love, I love freaking John Popper. He's awesome. My favorite Anyways. one. Anyways. My favorite one from that is uh, Canadian Rose. Is that what it's called? Yeah. She called me an ugly American. Yeah, I love that one. Now we call her my Canadian clown. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. good night, everybody. Anyways, good night, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Bye. Kid. <laughs> but, you know, there's that le- apparent leaked book cover, book cover yeah. that has a picture of who appears to be wedge yeah. so yeah interesting i mean it'd be a little weird for him to show up now unless like they'd have i was to thinking him, about that they'd have to give him like a backstory and like well this is what i've been doing or like a, a reason that he hasn't been fighting yeah with the resistance in the first place yeah it's like he's been through all of this two death stars and everything why wasn't he with the resistance before right same thing with lando like what are they gonna they're gonna have to explain it somehow lando i can see him like retiring i I get that the guy's a businessman yeah i can see him being like okay i'm stepping away from military life i got some business ventures i want to try out again that i can buy wedge would be difficult yeah i suppose so yeah Unless he got into, like, government work or something. Became the governor of Corellia or something. I don't know. But... Yeah, I mean, I could I could see it, I guess, with Lando. I mean, he he was pretty into it in Jedi. We watched it last night again. Right. Uh, like, he was pretty into it. Volunteering mm-hmm. to lead the mission and everything. Yep. Made general. Like, <laughs> was mm-hmm. it general? I don't remember. Anyway. Yep. He's General Calrissian. Yeah. Anyway, what I mainly it's just like, well, 
they've got to explain even if it's a believable explanation they've got to explain it somehow so now we're doing two of those explanations Lando where you been oh well I retired and did this thing oh Wedge you too where you been oh well I'm gonna you know like spend two two segments of the movie talking about bringing these people back maybe they were doing something together, together. Ooh. recruiting in the outer rim yeah listen what i'm just looking forward to most i think of this whole rise of skywalker is the reunion of lando with nia nun yeah it uh, cool is he is oh because he's because nia nub's been there hasn't he yeah he's and he survived yeah. the yeah he survived the the, the, yeah. the big blow up all the resistance transports thing yeah right so that will be a cool re reunion that we won't be able to understand <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so we're going to be covering the first three chapters of fire and blood this time that's pages is that really 30 to 50 no it's three three to 50 okay that's I, what I thought. Typo. sorry about that Okay, I just want to make sure because I don't have the pages on my thing. Well, even if it doesn't turn out to be true, I'm glad the news uh, came out because just rereading the thread on Twitter with you and Dop John and Katrina and Pelichichio and Gene, just going and it, like somehow it devolved into Lord of the Rings stuff too. Like it was, it was gold. I don't even know what happened. I don't know what happened either. But I was I'm out. Just... I was out. I was just reading it, and I'm like, oh, I love our, I love our fans. There's our, our followers are such nerds. I love it. And those those guys up in the East Coast, they're like a little family out there. And yeah. when they get going, those those guys, and you throw in Frank and a couple others, and it's just a joy to sit back and watch. But I haven't even made sense of that conversation yet. I've been uh, I was out with my boys all night doing a little guys' night out, and my kids, my boys. Um, so I haven't even read through it, but we'll get you to should. it. I just saw something about I... Haldir. Yes. And... <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dobtron had to go all obscure. Anyway, it was fun. <laughs> hey, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Pippin just showed up. Hey, buddy. What's up? Did I wake you up? You okay? <laughs> Did you know mommy's home? Mommy's home? She's in our room. He gone. That's the first. He's. They've never woken up on a on podcast before. Yeah, I've never had one of those moments. Um, what was I? Totally distracted. Uh. <laughs>